tiny people and we play with them. Ooh, ooh, we paint tiny people and we play with them. Hello and welcome to episode 23 of Miniatures Monthly at the Crate and Crowbar. I say monthly, I mean six weeks-ish. Who mm. knows? Who's counting? I'm not. Are you, Tom Senior? Uh, good question. So we might have done this for more than two years now, have we? Yeah. No, because it's 23. How many months are in a year? Yeah, but we've done them not quite monthly. <laughs> That'd be less than that, that, wouldn't it? Uh, maybe. We'd have to have done more than one in a month in order to be at a year, two years now. I've, uh, I've rolled so many dice, I've forgotten how to count today. Yeah. So. No, actually, you're not wrong, because we did start two years ago, January. Yeah. But there you go. Two years of anniversary. Yeah. Actually passed a long time ago. I think we've done like three episodes since Happy then. Happy birthday, us. I guess so. Yeah. Especially given the amount of news <laughs> that's come up <laughs> since the, our last pod. Yeah. Yeah. We keep doing this. Um, so since we last recorded, I should actually mention that my name is Chris Thurston. I sort of forgot to say that at the that's start. True. It's probably obvious which one I am. Um, but anyway, I've said it now. The, um, yeah. So we'll get straight into it because as we started to arrange the news that has happened in the six weeks since we last recorded, we realized it's a pretty staggering um, amount of it in part because obviously whenever we record this podcast games workshop announce something. Hmm. And uh, last time it was uh, the, the Lord discordant, the King of chaos space Marines riding around on a big scorpion Which is pretty remarkable being heretical as hell. Hmm. Um, model. But I don't really know if we need to say very much about, him. Him. There's Abaddon as well. We talked about him. Yeah, I think we talked about Abaddon last time. We did. Yeah. Like, and and since, obviously, since we last recorded, that entire Chaos Space Marines range has Mm. sort of come out and looks rad. They look awesome, yeah. It does look great. I don't know if I have any sort of particular insight to offer because I'm not really a 40k player. Mm. So they look nice. They do look nice. But at the same time, in the, uh, in the mortal realms where we spend most of our time, the Chaos also doing stuff. Also, do, like, doing stuff that we've been wanting Games Workshop to do for a really long time. <laughs> yeah, and talked about multiple times on the podcast. I think. Yeah, so, waiting for Fantasy Necromunda, also known as Mordheim, to arrive in Age of Sigmar in some form or another, and it looks like now it is... It's on the horizon. Warcry, it's yeah, called. Yeah, Warcry, and I think, um, I feel a little bit personally attacked by this, because <laughs> I feel like if you... So, you know, my favourite, the first uh, book that got me into Age of Sigmar was, as a setting, was Call of Archaon, which is about champions of different Chaos Gods converging on the Varen Spire, right, which is yeah, Archaon yeah. Citadel at the eight points, which is sort of the centre of the, sort of the, the Realm Gate Nexus. And then they all basically engage in the Krypton Factor. They uh, do, yes. To try and get <laughs> the favour of their gods. In order to be able to ride a very big horse. Yeah, very you want to ride the big horse, you've got to jump over this series of floaty platforms <laughs> or something. Um, but this is being, this process is being made manifest as a game now. Yeah. Um, where, uh, initially what it looks like, it's, it's an interesting to figure out how it breaks down. So as of the time we're recording this, not lots has been revealed. Uh, which means that by the time this podcast goes up, they'll have shown everything. Mm. Um, but what we know at present is that it's a game set in the Varen Spire where bands of chaos warriors, chaos mortals representing different chaos factions, but not God specific factions mm. from different realms kind of clash for Archeon's attention, basically. Also like the apprentice. I think the apprentice yeah, maybe, would be yeah. the other, yeah. would be the other, uh, thing here. Um, <laughs> team evolution. <versus laughs> exactly. <laughs> team team Gortide. <laughs> <laughs> be a much better show. Can't they run a fish and chip shop? We'll find out. Uh, we can't really position Alan Sugar as Archeon in this though. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Cause 
One looks like a testicle and the other <laughs> one rides a three-headed dragon horse. I know which one I like. <laughs> Me too. Um, the, <laughs> the, um, the, uh, but nonetheless, so, uh, just so much, so much that I want all at once. So yeah, big box that comes with two of these initial bands. They very much seems like the Necromander format. So mm, yeah, two different factions plus terrain, I'm guessing. Uh, those two different factions in the box are a chaos undivided squad from the realm of metal, as if you couldn't hammer it in enough that I want, <laughs> I'm going to buy this. Yeah. And another from the realm of beasts, which I, they look cool. Take or leave it. Uh, other rad things. It's not just humans and it's not just men. Both of those things are good. Mm. Uh, you know, mix of genders, but also, uh, a, uh, chaosified Duardin and a chaosified, um, ogre or whatever mm. they're called now. Ogor, I believe. Ogor. With an O? <laughs> yeah. Two O's. <laughs> Ugor. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that, this is quite exciting. Um, if you look at the actual image of the box, it's really deep. It looks like the kill team box. Yeah, it looks big, which means it might well have terrain in it. Yeah, and in the trailer, well. you can see what very much looks like an expansion to the Azerite Ruins terrain. Yeah, yeah. Like a bell tower, but much more spiky and lots more fences, which Some... is the sign of chaos. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, like pathways, like walkways that you can sort of, you can imagine building a more time style, multi-tiered uh, yeah. combat arena with that type of stuff. Uh, and I, so do you think it's going to be like Necromander or do you think it's going to be like Kill Team? Because the, the way those games are released and produced are quite different. Yeah, I think it's going to be, um, my guess is something that I think the way games actually work at the moment is it would support both. Mm. I'd be really surprised if they didn't have room for like narrative progression, like, cause Kill Team's like this. Kill Team has both Kill Team and Kill Team Arena, mm. right? You have like competitive Kill Team and story campaign kill team yeah but i mean like, in terms of the way the games are rolled out you kill yeah. teams expansions are a wall band with a bit of terrain thrown in and some rules right and they're kind of like packaged oh like i that. see what you mean yeah, yeah. whereas necromunda is like forge world a lot of forge world stuff and it's a different so yeah i so it looks like obviously there's lots of really bespoke models yeah for this like uh, there's some stuff like there's new plastic um harpies and raptrixes like old school chaos monsters <laughs> yeah Chaos ducks, basically. <laughs> yeah, they're uh, quite funny. <laughs> the um, that's also welcome. I want to. I was trying to unpick this because, you know, the so the harpies and the other monsters look like they very much could have been repurposed for this game from a broader Slaves to Darkness expansion. Everyone's been expecting that. Mm. That makes sense to me. But those gangs look very Necromunda. Mm. Like they're very specific, you know, in the same way that you have Escher and, and Delac and, and the other kind of that very specific look, these realm specific chaos undivided models don't look like they could, they've been plucked from other army sets or something. No, they look really specific to like this. Designed bespoke for this particular game. Yeah. And, you know, like, um, because I saw that argument that maybe this is what's become of the Dark Oath release. Mm. And I don't really buy that, although I do think it could have confused some of the rumor mill stuff that's been happening. Because, you know, uh, Shadespire Underworlds got its start because the miniatures design team produced a bunch of new sort of what were intended as basically booster packs for the easy build, like Blood Reaver and Liberator kits. Right. And then a few others. And they became Steelhearts Champions and Garrick Reavers. Mm. Um, 
but they really obviously fit into the existing aesthetic of current Age of Sigma armies, sure. right? Like all of the stuff they've shown for for Warcry would look completely out of place in Slaves to Darkness, mm. or look completely out of place in well, Slaves to Darkness because it's both they're both Slaves to Darkness and they look wildly different yeah, in existing yeah. Slaves to Darkness. So either Slaves to Darkness is getting a range expansion of an unprecedented size, you know what I mean, where it's like you've got specific models for every realm, or this is a separate thing. Yeah. I think maybe yeah. I'm wrong. That right? makes sense. It makes sense. You'll see some crossover, I imagine, and of course the. um it's not just going to be chaos, so that seems to be the central fantasy of the core box by the yeah. sounds of it. Uh, but uh, other factions will, I don't know if they'll get, I wonder if they'll get their own models or whether they'll get rules for existing I, models. I think it might be rules. Insert. I think it might end up being like Gene Steeler cults in Necromunda right, or, or yeah, chaos yeah. cultists in Necromunda yeah, where you use rules. Cause yeah, they've shown symbols for Iron Jaws, Stormcast, Vampire counts, mm. which made me very excited. That could be a bespoke release that, that yeah. I'd be very Oh god, of. if they do bespoke Vampire counts, that's mm. like one of the few things that would pull me out. Of that's like the most more time thing as well. Yeah. But get some. Skaven would be great. Skaven would be, obviously would be great. I mean, they kind of got to explain why they're there. Like why they give a shit about <laughs> yeah. Archeon's approval. That's true. <laughs> you I can hand away it. There's, there are ways. Oh yeah, there are always ways. But like, um, I'm, you know, I, there's, there's a lot that's exciting to me at the moment about the hobby generally. Mm-hmm. And, but this is almost looming on the horizon as like this, the, the release of the year for us. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to, they said summer and I think this might be the thing that fills the gap that uh the lack of a big addition for either of the games fills yeah this year so there's no like doesn't feel like there's a soul wars equivalent on the horizon necessarily no not necessarily beyond no. like it's interesting aos is ticking along quite nicely because they're doing these kind of small-scale refreshes of existing factions that do need the love and i'd expect sylvaneth to get that as well because isn't there like a, a sylvaneth versus something Gloom else Spike. yeah so Spike. the rumor for that is it's sylvaneth versus specifically squig oh cool squig squig lanch squig herd whatever it's called yeah um gloom spike because there's like because normally with those boxes those big aren't like those two army boxes it's like lots of existing stuff at a discount plus uh, like a new hero sculpt mm-hmm. so there's a thought that I think the like the goblin boss on Cave Squig resin model might get an update with oh, that. Oh, cool! Yeah, that's 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 clever. I'd be interested to see what a new Sylvaneth hero would look like as well. The other rumor I heard about that actually moving away from Warcry is that Sylvaneth are going to get a terrain piece to replace the uh, woods. The woods. Oh, okay. With an individual tree rather than the big mess, kind of chaotic. Uh, of uh, yeah, which would be really interesting. Yeah, I th- it's slightly a shame because they look really nice on the table. They do, but, but rules-wise, they're, they're kind of a nightmare, I think. They're, they're too big. They're massive. Yeah. They're probably too big, particularly because you can have more than one of them. Mm. Like, it's, it's sort of disproportionate to the amount of terrain everyone else gets, yeah. which is a shame in a way because having your own terrain was a Sylvaneth thing, really. Yeah, And true. now it's an everyone thing. Yeah. But I wonder if it'll work more like the, the, the Nurgle trees. Uh, but they'll yeah. be more themed towards like the anti-Nurgle, basically. Yeah, I mean, maybe they'll keep the Citadel Woods as well, but, oh, sorry, what are they called? The- yeah, the, you can still use them as tra- ordinary train pieces, but be able to spawn three of them one inch apart on a, a board that was yeah, going to have about a lot 12 more inches long, right? So they're about- Especially if, like, every faction now has terrain they can put up, having Wildwoods interact, like, yeah, it's a lot, it's a lot. So that, that yeah, I could see that making logical sense. Yeah, there's rumours of that, and there's rumours of the... Uh, Seraphin Battle Tome as well. Really? Ooh. Yeah, because that's been, that's been rumored for a while that they would get an update because they, they kind of need one and. They do. They were, they were the first book, weren't they? After yeah. the, after the core set. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, so they do, <laughs> they do need a release. Um, those models are old though, aren't they, for the most part? Seraphin? Yeah. Yeah, I could see like a couple of new heroes or something and a, That'd a be train really cool. piece. I think the train piece that was rumored was like a spawning pool, mm. like a, you know, a 
place where to go make skinks i guess <laughs> right yeah <laughs> i'd love to see a kind of i'd love to see seraphon come back and uh, go into underworlds with some cool kind of hero models and stuff like that they, yeah, they, yeah. Because the, the the fantasy of them is really interesting in Edge of the Sigma setting. The kind of anti-demons thing is is quite a neat idea. Yeah. Um, I think also they had one of the most radical overhauls of any old Warhammer faction in terms of their fiction. Mm. Like obviously it's the same faction, but the notion that they are actually demon, they are actually magic dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I also love that they've been parked inside a giant moon, endlessly fighting Caucus Cole. <laughs> that's their current fictional kind of uh status quo yeah right not to not like that's one of the things that's nice about the new corn book which i'm mm. sure we'll get to but it canonizes that like the, <laughs> out, the outcome of the fact that during malign portents everyone voted to shoot the dinosaur moon with yeah. the time cannon yeah yeah uh, which brought all the dinosaurs back so Caucus Cole is fought, stuck fighting magic space dinosaurs on his fucking battle moon is <laughs> now in the corn uh, that's, battle that's splendid as a actual thing that happened so. oh, i very much hope that also makes it into the seraphon <laughs> battle time eventually <laughs> exactly like meanwhile <laughs> yeah on the battle yeah. moon hmm. um but yeah no so lots of like i don't think there's anything else to say on on Warcry specifically other than it's just rad that it's happening and yeah. i imagine it all like i'll be picking up straight away mm. like i'm really looking forward to it yeah very big I love the idea of flavors of chaos as well. That's a really cool thing yeah, to explore yeah. as well. Um, especially like mortals who are not like demonic yet, but they're, they're sort of pursuing it. That's such a cool, rich design space. Well, in a way, it's the first normal humans we've seen. Yeah. New for AOS That's because true. chaos is normal in AOS. Like this is what most people are aspiring to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Like the cities are the exception. So it's nice to kind of like start to see that fleshed out. Like mm. I'd love this to be the road towards getting free peoples and stuff mm. like that. Yeah. That'd be but if exploring it from chaos side first, isn't, isn't an anomaly in the way that it might have used to be. I still really hold out for free peoples as an idea. Cause they could be like the Imperial guard of, of AOS. Really. Yeah. The, the kind of relentless underdogs that is, that's a really fun fantasy to play, play as like lots of very like relatively small people taking on these you know godly forces yeah right like, i love to see that i love to see the order of vizier kind of the new version of witch hunters kind of manifest yeah the game as yeah, well there's that'd be really cool. cool things they could do with it but yeah like um i sort of fully expect to see more kind of god beasts type you know sort of gods and beasts type armies before we get to that yeah point, definitely so load up my notes see what the rest of the news was there's many so the other thing actually is uh forbidden power which i think will be relatively soon mm. um which is what looks like it's so it's the next phase of the soul wars and it looks like a kind of malign sorcery style expansion and i have to say i'm not mega into it yeah same, same, like to see more, same here actually yeah because i think the main reason for me is that i've just not used many endless spells and i really love the idea of them but yeah, never seemed quite worth using. Or they're, they're difficult to use, and I don't know why I've not bought into them very much. Even though I've got the set, I've got the Malign yeah. Sorcery set. Also, I mean, there's like what looks like a Stormcast terrain piece there that's literally a not orrery. So. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, the um, I think for me, it's like it's two things. One is the fact that yeah, I've got the Malign Sorcery set and hardly ever use any of it. Yeah. Which is sad, but it's sort of nature of maybe the particular games. I mean, I'm glad I have it because like there are like, it's nice to include it in armies. Mm. I mean, one thing that sort of soured me on this a bit is I think the Malign Sorcery set is very good at, um, offering a kind of neutral balance of spells. Like there's a variety that mm. come from different sort of fields of magic, if that makes sense. It's not just different. Yeah. Right. Literally winds of magic. 
Uh, whereas, uh, the stuff they've shown for, uh, Forbidden Power is like 100% death, 100% of the time. One of them is literally like a little skeleton ferryman in his boat. Yes. It's like yeah. a bridge made of bones. And the idea is it's all death magic, but it literally, if you packaged up those models and said, here is the Legions of Nagash magic expansion, I would have gone, sure. Yeah. Yep, right. That's what that is. Mm. And I just couldn't imagine ever including those, any of those models aesthetically in his each army. Yeah, that's a good point. For, for that reason, you know. Likewise, like, Stormcast, like, yeah. Still casting. And what Nagash. is Nagesh's head? Uh, yeah, yeah. Going, Hello. Like, like it's look not at my hat. It's just the Stormcast would not do that. They're, they're at direct loggerheads with yeah. death. They're, their whole philosophy and you know Sigma versus Nagash is they're just at opposing ends of the of the battlefield. Yeah, like not a lot of information's been revealed about it yet. So I sort of appreciate that maybe there's something to be revealed that makes mm. it all make sense. But at the moment, and I think also given how little we've used, for example, realm rules. And obviously they're making their way into tournaments, but in a kind of piecemeal way. Yeah. Like it feels like we're, we're having a good time playing AOS at the moment, but not requiring another layer of rules and artifacts to pick from and, right. and stuff to potentially bust it up a bit. Yeah. I, I just don't see AOS as the kind of army list building theory crafting game that 40k is, for example. So yeah. the, uh, the gear, th- doesn't factor into AOS in the same way and I quite like that that it's quite a light layer of choice you have yeah but it's not you don't have to like sit on the bog for an hour and sort of really really think about <laughs> you're allowed to think in other places optimal it's <laughs> the best place to uh optimal kind of loadouts for given units and that kind of stuff yeah um the the thing like the more artifacts you add it's just an extra layer of stuff to track and um realm rules as they exist currently like they, they're very, really variable and can have massive impacts on the battlefield yeah. in a way that, I don't know, it can be themey and stuff, but yeah, it's a lot, it's, it's just a lot to keep track of. <laughs> it is. Yeah. And, um, it's like this stuff could be good and on choice mm. can be good, but it's like, it's, um, I think for something like this, I have to really want the models in the box mm. and I don't currently. And I think I would, if there were, if the stuff in the book was so, game changing that you kind of had to have it to compete i would slightly resent having to buy a box of like nagash spells basically yeah yeah and it's it's because those models don't really have multiple uses as well yeah yeah so i was i was recently thinking about buying um the shades by underworld's terrain yeah to to use in blackstone fortress because a lot of that stuff will totally work in BSF. Yeah. Uh, if you paint them a certain way and, you know, add metallics and stuff like that. And then, but if I paint it that way, I can also use them as terrain in AOS games. Like the, the, that set of plastic has lots of different yeah, right. potential uses. Whereas endless spells, like don't really, um, and especially like very heavily themed endless spells. Yeah. Uh, and often they, they go onto the table briefly and then vanish. And so it's not like you're, you're constantly looking at those miniatures. So, like, the Geminids will move off and you might, like, have a mirror appear and then be dispelled. Yeah. I don't know. It's just, like, the, the investment of time into painting them up and owning them is less rewarding than painting up a unit, for example. Yeah, right. I or think another piece of terrain. Strike. Like, I think if you're really committed to an army, mm. it's a nice addition. Mm. Especially if it's very clearly themed to your army. That's true. Yeah. But, yeah, like, it's not... I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all. Mm. And I think, sort of... I just feel like... I don't know. I feel like maybe we're coming down too hard on it without really knowing exactly what's in it. Yeah, I was talking more but, generically about endless spells as a yeah, concept. But did you get that? But like yeah. the Malign Sorcery set, I think you can theme to your army in an interesting way. Yeah, that's certainly true. And uh, I do 
do really like some of the sculpts in the uh, the original Line Sorcery yeah. box as well. Like they they you can paint them up in lots of creative ways and make them really cool. Like, I, like a, and also yeah, there's a sense of a range as well. Mm. Like you might not use everything in the box, but it's kind of fun to imagine like what I mean would I use the purple sun in or something yeah. like that. And also the, and like the, the Geminids are a really cool idea. Yeah. Like that's a really cool idea for a spell. Whereas I don't know what the the boatman, Rory Boatman's gonna do, but hopefully they have kind of cool. They'll probably be well. mortal wounds. Probably, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's another thing as well. Like a lot of them are like Arcane Bolt, but But it's a boat. But it's a boat. <laughs> yeah. Arcane Bolt. Arcane Bolt. Arcane Bolt. <laughs> uh so yeah, it's it's such a cool idea though. Because I remember in the old old editions of Warhammer, the magic system used to be cards. And actually, there's something quite tactical and nice yeah. about that. Uh, and but it feels like this is a step up from that idea. It's like actually their models and their fireballs moving across the battlefield. It's just maybe we, I just need to take, make more of an effort to include them in their games. Yeah, I'd like to. Up. Like, I mean, I came very close to picking up the corn. Not spells, definitely not spells. Judgments, mm. right? They are they are pretty OTT models, which I like. They're yeah, yeah, very and they do fun things. And like you mm. know, I, I can imagine it being an interesting sort of thing to manipulate um and they are fun but yeah like it's it's just that they're too heavily themed like if this had been a box of or if it turns out to be a box that has a little bit more range to it mm. then I, i'm kind of back in it's just you know it's i think it's a bit of a risk going all in on like the current sort of dichotomy of age of sigma which is death versus stormcast yeah and having things that are so obviously themed to those two factions good point yeah like literally like a stormcast orrery and a gash's head floating out of the ground yeah especially because the stormcast or and um the night haunts have already have their own boxes of endless spells that yeah b- right. belong to them so and also the the meteor thing that stormcast could take is, seems pretty good rules wise as well so like if i was going to buy anything i'd probably buy that box instead rather than yeah. buying into this thing that has lots of Stuff I yeah, use. right. And also, let's just take a moment here to appreciate that uh, Korn got endless spells before Zinch did. <laughs> That's really true. <laughs> oh, Zinch must be furious. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Raging in the depths. <laughs> uh, there's loads of references in the new Korn book as well to like things that obviously aren't out yet, like the Zinchian flux can, which is obviously the terrain piece. That oh, oh what, sorry? A flux can. A flux can? A flux can. Can. K- oh, can. Can as in the stone. I don't know, like it's sort of a can. <laughs> the flux can. Exactly. <laughs> it's a bucket. It's a really <laughs> magic bucket. Get the flux bucket. <laughs> bucket flux of flux. Can. No, actually flux cans have been in, like, they're things that Zangor gather around. Like, oh, sort right. of, like herd stones, but, but Weirder. wizards. <laughs> but wizards, yeah. yeah. Okay, that's cool. I like um, that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so it's obviously going to be Zinch stuff at some point, but. Hmm. You know, nonetheless, just wanted to mark it there. Just <laughs> let it be known. That's nonsense to me, uh, personally. Uh, what else should we talk about? Actually, let's talk about other, other nonsense. Uh, it is now possible since we last recorded this podcast, uh, and it's now very possible for you to go out and buy not only, uh, magical spells, but not magical spells for your fire slayers, hmm. but an entire pizza oven for them as well. Yeah. A beautiful, lovely crust, crusty bread I, I, I love this because i'd never really thought of dwarves as the sort of um like uh slightly hipstery but you go there because the food's nice pop-up restaurant <laughs> restaurateurs but here it is yeah but nonetheless i think i said this on discord but if the carriageron terrain when it inevitably comes along isn't a little microbrew distillery <laughs> they've missed a huge trick absolutely yeah because i mean there is literally a pizza and micro brews place about five minutes from my house operated by squat bearded men and <laughs> <laughs> yeah the comparison's perfect yeah exactly that's a that's a cool piece of terrain again like you could just 
these train pieces are good generic train pieces. So if you want to yeah. theme up a board or something like you could use them. I'm getting increasingly sort of wary of the fact that they're kind of baked into the armies. Mm. Like, mm. um, you know, I, I think everything has to be considered to be optional because the point of Warhammer is to build a game that you want to play with the person that you're playing with. Mm. But like, you know, I know that the difference between me playing, let's say, you know, obviously we'll get to this in the battle report, but playing with my corn stuff against you, Tom, and maybe taking my corn stuff to a tournament is at some point I will have to buy the train. Yeah. Because there's no point going to a tournament without it. Cause mm. why the hell would buffs. you? It's really good. Yeah. Like, why would you give up on a buff? Why would you give up on a, like a 16 inch diameter bubble where everyone has to reroll successful spellcasting? Right. Which is extremely that good. I can place anywhere. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. Exactly. So that sort of mm. stuff is sort of, I still feel a bit weird about the fact that it's free in points, but not free in money. Mm. Um, but the mm. models are really cool. And so, and that, if the stated aim is to get more terrain on tables and players interacting with it and owning it, then it's probably going to work. But mm. I still feel a little bit sort of, I'd be happy for them to do some army updates that didn't, ha- didn't have this format, like book plus terrain piece plus endless spells. Yeah. Yeah. Cause it's sort of, that sort of set feels like it increases the mandatory spend for it an army to 50 to 75 quid rather than 25 for the book yeah makes me think of kill team again where terrain is now sort of bundled in with miniatures yeah and they're both part of the same thing and i wonder if like terrain is relatively easy to produce compared to like very very detailed sculpts. yeah stuff, precisely yeah. yeah and it might just be easier and faster to design and easier to, easier to make but i'm not sure yeah so in, in that context it would make sense that you'd produce a bunch of train and it, like it can look awesome and it'd be interesting to go to the tournament and see what people do with it paint wise and yeah. hobby wise to make, kind of differentiate their pizza oven from everybody else's pizza oven <laughs> <laughs> i do really like it i do love it's, it. it's really good yeah i'm not, I'm not, not no i just love that they summon a forge right but it does look like exactly like a pizza oven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's good uh yeah um the other day it occurred to me that because uh, everything's a magmic something if you're a if mm. you're a fire slayer mm. and, and something in my brain clicked and went magmic that's short for magic Mike. and then fire slayers <laughs> oh, no. as a whole start to make lone words more sense to me <laughs> it's just a load of naked men it is a load of like in men. the movie magic mike xl <laughs> <laughs> they've had a their new book has changed them but i don't know how because yeah. i've not read any rules for them it, yeah. it seems nice happy seems for them. nice yeah <laughs> they, again they did seem like they really needed an update. Uh, didn't they get some beta rules at some point? And, and they did. I think. Uh, they became like a horde army for a bit. I don't know what they're like now. After the new, they're pretty solid because they have like really good saves and like yeah, you know, rerolls really hard to shift. And apparently, the magma drops are more useful now. Yeah, because they're they're quite cool models. Like they're lovely models. They're lovely models like flaming. I mean, Fire saves was like the first sort of original af- original AOS range after Stormcast and Bloodbad. Right. Yeah. Because they came before Sylvaneth, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. I want to see more of them. But I, I like the idea that they might be secretly really good and they might arrive as a sort of sleeper hit. Mm. You know, mm. uh, as everyone's getting obsessed with flesh eater courts, they, they might sort of, you know, slayers might crop up in the background. Yeah. It's interesting to see flesh eater courts come back into favour as well because that's actually well, them a little bit broken at the moment. <laughs> Apparently so, yeah. yeah. I've had that as well. Uh, yeah, that's a minute that it's going to get squashed and then it will, next sort of rules update isn't it uh, maybe the FUC but um, Death are supposed to be Ascendant at the moment like, that's true in the AOS universe so it's kind of a, that's a, a reflection of that but uh, might feel bad for tournament players <laughs> <laughs> yeah they are winning everything mm, things. Yeah. I, I, I mean ultimately I don't really hugely care because it's not the kind of AOS I care to play yeah like, right, right, if right. it's almost like I'm going to bring my Gusselgore stuff and I'm just going to 
you know, shit on you. I'd be mm. like, okay, but what, could get out of my house. Something else. <laughs> yeah, like, um, yeah, right. Like, yeah. Uh, but I think, I think it can also be a bit sort of, um, I would say on that point that it sort of somewhat put me off taking Flesh Eater Court as part of a doubles thing, mm. you know, which I had planned because I got Carrion Empire for Skaven and just kept half of it for do 800 points Flesh Eater Court's thing. Yeah. And actually it sort of put me off that a bit because I found this in other competitive settings as well. Knowing that there's something very competitive I can be doing something with the models I've got mm-hmm. makes it feel like an uncomfortable choice to deliberately do the less optimal thing. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make it's sense. It's like, I know I can make this bullshit and I don't want to, but that's purely an act of role play. And, mm. you know, it's sort of a, it's a strange sort of position to be in. Like the, the goal of a rule set should be to offer interesting choices mm. where there aren't right. There aren't too many. There's one straight right, wrong, one obviously decisions. best thing. Yeah. yeah. And I'm not necessarily saying that there's one obviously right way of playing fleshy to chords, but they certainly have, though. you know, they certainly have very good ways of a couple of fears built yeah yeah that um they can be played and like you know also the fact that i decided i didn't really want to buy the carrion throne Mm. i am giving up so much like it's uh, other armies you get i think every army gives up a lot but it's it's sort of i don't think that mechanism as it's designed really feels very good Mm. because it's not only like when you start to add loads of free summoning to an army you're also asking people to buy more models to you know what I mean? Like yeah. your 800 point army becomes actually like secretly a 1400 point army because of the amount of free stuff they get, mm. which is both not that fun to play against and also an increased investment. And that's a bit of a snowballing sort of, yeah. is this the faction I really want to do issue that made me kind of want to pull the parachute on the whole thing? Mm. Cause it's like, uh, uh, yeah. I, I ultimately also want to see new units, and new heroes rather than, uh, and we do get a lot, like we'll talk about Starnesh in a bit, but um I want to see like, characters and warriors rather than like spells and buildings <laughs> yeah right it feels like I'd, I'd rather the balance was towards new army stuff rather uh, that could fight yes right and i'm actually obviously that stuff's in the works and it, the yeah, production loop on that has to be far longer mm. than it is for a pizza oven say yeah uh or a little folk stage or you know whatever it is but mm. like nonetheless it's a you know i, I agree it's just mm. Yeah, I think it's a good bit of a tricky balance. But that said, new stuff to play with is like is very welcome at the same time. Particularly, it's better to get a little update like this, I suspect, than to get no update for five to ten years. Definitely, yeah. That 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 is a big advantage, actually, isn't it? Um, yeah, you don't have that kind of despair of picking an army that isn't stormcast and feeling as though you're going to be left out for a long time. Yeah, right. Though stormcast doesn't have any train yet. They will. Not yet. Well, that thing in Forbidden Power really looks like terrain because it doesn't have yeah, a base right. like a spell does. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so it's probably, that's it then. Yeah. You might have to buy it. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, that would be, that would be really doing a dirty to say that, oh, by the way, the Stormcast terrain, that, that one isn't a 20 quid box. That's part of this 50 quid box. Right. Congratulations, <laughs> Stormcast players. And now you own some plastic that belongs to Nagash. Yeah, exactly. Now you in own Nagash's face. <laughs> <laughs> um, I suppose the, the segue there is into Slanesh, which is skipping ahead in time a bit and some other things in the meantime that mm. we can get back to, but dang. So this, yeah. is, this is the new range release mm. and this is on pre-order today, actually, and out next week, mm. all coming up once. Yeah. Well. A big one. It's like and so it's, there's been two moments in the last couple of months that I've been genuinely 
blown away by mm. a new model. And one was the loon boss on mangler squigs, like the crazy, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, two giant squigs. Anti-gravity. Anti-gravity uh, skull. Incredible detail. Yeah. Uh, and then the other is the new keeper secrets, which yeah. is almost the opposite. Uh, I knew I loved models that had a sense of poise mm. and I had no idea what they were going to do with Slanesh. And I'm really excited about what they have done with it. There's almost a kind of stately grace to the pose of this creature that seems to be slowly walking forwards and you imagine it cutting yeah. stuff down and like just a, a flick of its wrist. And it's you know, something extremely good about it. I've not yet to see it like in physical reality. I'd, I'd yeah. See that pose right. multiple angles, but for the photography that puts it out, it looks pretty So yeah, the new Slanesh range is it's all demons so far. And some people have gotten upset that there's no new mortals yet. Mm. Um, uh, the thing that occurred to me is actually only once have new mortals arrived at the same time as new demons, and that was Siege. Right. Corn and Nurgle both got their demon update and their mortal update separately, sometimes years apart. I wonder if, like, the, it's because the demon, demon update works in 40k as well, so it's yeah, like right. a, a multi-release rather than, yeah. Yeah, I, and I think, so, you know, for whatever reason, it's it's a demon update this time, and that basically involves, the, obviously, the new fiends that came in Wrath and Rapture, the Enrapturous, the Harp Lady who came in Wrath and Rapture, mm. um the there's a few there's, there's ender spells there's terrain uh there's a new keeper secrets so now all four great demons are in plastic yeah, which is great yeah. um and then there's um oh god i forgot what the name is there's um i love the model i forgot what it's called it's two heralds of of slanesh pointing at a big mirror oh yeah that's a very good eats mortal wounds and spits them back out again oh does it, it has oh, a two up mortal wound save and if it eat small wound it's coming back out oh eventually. cool that's, that's there's really so much cool stuff in the new rule and i imagine we'll dig into this in a future episode because obviously it's out next week but yeah the stuff that makes your opponent like makes your the person fighting slanesh make choices about what happens to yeah, their units that was already there oh, okay. but they've, they've sort of addressed it so like previously the keeper of secrets could offer you a uh a, a bargain at the start of a combat phase mm. so the previous way it worked was and i like what they've changed it and it's interesting to maybe on pick why um the previous version was if you accept the deal, the hero that it's offered to gets six extra attacks oh, on one of their weapons, Yeah, which is the number of slanesh. Right. However, when you roll the attack, if any of the results are a one, the hero is instantly slain. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, quite a choice. Yeah, that was the old version. Oh, right, and it's right. not really a choice. Like, the problem is you'd never accept it. Yeah. Because the odds are you have more than one attack anyway. So at that point, it's the odds of, let's say you had two attacks, and it's the odds of a one showing up on eight dice, which mm. is actually better than... Yeah, I, or, yeah. having said that, if I had a Celestine Prime on the field with Galmaraz, might take the extra six attacks, because it, was, <laughs> it could kill anything. <laughs> yeah, but if any of them are one, it dies instantly, so it's... it's oh, it's, oh, so it's quite... It's quite I think, so. it's I think that's how it works. Anyway, it doesn't work that way anymore. Right, right, right. The way it works is, you get offered this deal... Basically, if you deny it, you take D3 mortal wounds. Mm. So you just take D3 mortal wounds. So that's good for the Sinesh player because it's some guaranteed source of damage. Yeah. You want to turn it down. If you accept it, you take, you get plus one to hit, I think. Mm. Or it's either plus one to hit or rerolls of one to hit. I think it's plus one to hit. Um, uh, for the, uh, rest of the battle. But on the next turn, you roll a dice. Mm. And on a one to three, you lose the buff. And on a four up, you die. No way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't so, think, I don't think you ever take that then. I think you do. Yeah. And I think the scenario where you do is, um, like it's a gambling thing. And I think, I think it'd be quite fun. Like mm. imagine, you know, a keeper secrets charging a hero that has like six wounds, like a sort of on foot hero of some kind. Yeah. Like a, a base level hero, you know, a base level hero. Then there's, it's an interesting bargain. Cause if you, 
if there's a circumstance where you think you can deny it, you say no, you take D3 mortal wounds, maybe hope to take one Mm. and try and survive in a different way. But if you think you're dead in combat, you might as well take the buff Mm. because you might die anyway. So like you might as well take the buff Mm. to get the bonus to attack. Yeah. So it's kind of, I I think the, I like that way of designing Slanesh where I think there is, I think there will be scenarios where that's a really interesting choice. Yeah. yeah. Both to offer it and to take it if it is offered. Mm. Like, uh, but to return to the model, like, mm. I think it's worth talking about because, you know, uh, Alex, who does the main CNC, uh, was really not a fan of it at all. Yeah. And, um, uh, I, I can understand why it's divisive because Slanesh is always going to be divisive, mm. but I think they've re- done a really good job of, reconciling what is sort of this the you know the 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 traditions of slanesh in terms of how it represents excess and and sensuality and things like that with a far more kind of interesting set of ideas about the physics of being a demon like mm. there's designer notes that they put on warhammer community recently that explain that people had already pointed out that the stockings that it appears to be wearing don't make any sense because around its hips they are stockings but around its feet they are skin yeah like and it doesn't make any physical sense and that's deliberate it's a demon like it literally it breaks the rules of sort of fashion matter in its own matter yeah in its own kind of flesh basically mm. it's all illusion and i think it's got a real i love that it isn't uh there are so many deeply tacky slanesh third party models mm. in the world that basically are just world of warcraft succubuses basically and um i love that they found a kind of form of like uh you know a sort of you know it, it's it's certainly a monster it has huge crab claws and that is sometimes a sign but it's also kind of you know kind of it has grace and it has poise and power and mm. sort of sensuality at the same time as having monstrous elements. It has one of the face options is more bovine. Like that's a really cool kind of Baphomet sort of yeah, yeah. angle. The whole range seems to have this sort of Arabian Nights kind of feel mm. to it now, which I really love as a kind of motif. Really, really dig it. Yeah, it's right. The, um, yeah, it's kind of like slender elegance to the Keeper of Secrets in particular because like, it's quite a brave pose to go for. Cause it's not an, yeah, it's, it's not like a, forwards, it's yeah. not like an a, attacking pose. And this is something I really liked about, um, Marathi as well. Yeah. Is that, um, like the, these truly mighty leaders are, you know, just striding slowly through like this chaos around them. So having your smaller models be like in action poses because they're going to be engaged while something much larger just strides forwards or, or points and just kind of directs things. Yeah. That's a, that's a good kind of, that's an awesome look in the context of an army. Uh, and I can imagine the Keeper of Secrets just looking awesome, like in the middle of a, you know, a load of demonettes and, and, and yeah, other right. Like there's, I really also really love the named alternative build oh, yeah, the shalaxia yeah. hellbane build mm. like which they've said has this sort of like almost like carnivale headdress kind mm. of thing and i really love like i love the way you know it's it's it feels more old sunesh had a bit of a problem with like it's just bondage gear whereas there's a little bit more of a design sense to the new stuff it has a little more fashion to it yeah and like i don't know if fashion as weapon is something that warhammer has fully earned because mm. it's you know it is certainly a hugely you know masculine kind of space most of the time mm. but that is what links it to like the positive and sort of you know potentially progressive use of that imagery in pop culture mm. where it can be kind of you know um subversive and sexy and kind of fun and exciting but not being it's not just titillating for the sake of the teenage mm. boys in the audience mm. you know what i mean like 
the Keeper of Secrets isn't really aiming at that at all. It's threatening. It's yeah, but it's powerful. You know, I really, really like it mm. to the to the extent that honestly, I'm probably going to walk down to Games Workshop tomorrow morning and pre-order one. Yeah, genuinely might. I don't have a slash army, but I just really want to paint one. It'd be an amazing painting project. Like, as well. I just love that model. Like, I love the new Lord of Change. Um, but I think the new Keeper of Secrets might be my favorite great demon mm. of the of the four. Like, I really, really like it. The new uh, Lord of Change was kind of. Uh, are basically the same as the previous sort of change, really, but with better yeah, technology but behind it. Yeah, <laughs> that really has been working out. But also, just you know, let's let's recast, let's remodel this and yeah. cast it with modern technology and what we can do with plastic, uh, and it's much larger, and you're able to do that. Um, yeah. Whereas this feels like a just a, 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 sh- a significant shift in design ethos compared to the old Keeper of Secrets, yeah, which was just kind of a gribbly creature with boobs <laughs> really and yeah was, right yeah like a big row of boobs and yeah a snooty face and some like some claws and stuff like that in a threatening pose um whereas there's there's much more story to this model there's much more like it evokes a world of like silks and you know drapes and and sort of capes and jewelry yeah, and, right. like, and, and uh, you'd be you start to understand why someone would bit like worship slanesh you don't i don't understand why anyone would worship the weird gribbly boob demon <laughs> but, but, but i can't can understand why someone would worship this thing you know what i mean yeah right because it's, it's supposed to the chaos gods should have an appeal because that's why chaos is so interesting uh it's because you should be like well in the right context i, I could collect skulls <laughs> in if if yeah, i was I mean, in, I literally do i collect all hammers <laughs> exactly um and if you're in a a universe of endless slaughter then slaughter would be a kind of form of worship and yeah. you can imagine that you like in the right context someone would do that um and likewise zinch like you get to see truths of the universe and learn secrets and yeah and overcome your uh, and be, be be important be, yeah right and and sort of see some of the threads of fate yeah that mere mortals don't get to see so there's got to be no you get to eat a kebab every night <laughs> yeah uh, no just like have a laugh tell lots of jokes it's fun you know nothing matters it's you know it's yeah yeah become transformed into something that uh you know become part of the family of nurgle like yeah camaraderie to nurgle and uh slanesh has always lacked that for me like i sort of understand broadly what the fantasy is supposed to be but that's never come across to me in the models there's something i really liked in the fiction they put out so far just through the community site which is that and I like this sort of slow kind of rebranding that the other chaos gods are very wary of Slanesh because mm. they, you know, Slanesh is the youngest, but potentially the most powerful. Mm. And that Slanesh being the youngest might also be the last because all of the other chaos gods tend towards excess in the end. Mm. Like all of them end in Slanesh. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Like see. any of them others taken to their logical extreme. If any of them win, mm. Slanesh wins, which mm. is kind of like a crazy kind of twist to the great game. Mm. So the, so the rebranding of Slanesh is this sort of like kind of youthful upstart god. I mean, obviously they've always been that, but you know, uh, that, uh, I feel like that is sort of present in the new Keeper of Secrets model as mm. well. Like yeah. both of all the other greater demons look, uh, sort of, ancient you know what i mean mm. whereas the keeper of secrets looks like it's literally just gotten out of the bath mm. <laughs> yeah it does yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean mm. and I, yeah i really dig it like i had um you know the other model i really love is Seleski, which is the demon prince with the herald on his back yeah yeah so it's like a i really love what they've done with it it's like a demon prince who looks a lot a bit like sigvold his armor looks a bit like sigvold's armor mm. like the kind of like uh sort of you know silver plate um but topless covered in sort of ritual tattoo scars mm. 
with a herald of Zinch on his shoulders, cracking a huge whip. Hmm. And it's such a great, it's just such a pure modern Warhammer model. Yeah. Like just immediately grabbed me. Like I really, really like it. Um, it's funny, like having been so tempted by Eidneth for a long time, it's amazing. Like I, my heart definitely belongs to chaos, like Grand Alliance chaos. I love all, almost all of it. And so yeah. seeing this stuff has really, really got me. And it's made me want to pivot my Slaves to Darkness stuff in a slanesh direction, but in a, in a way that I have some ideas how to do that. Mm. Um, that aren't quite the obvious, like give everyone a feather in the hat, <laughs> yeah. in a, you know, like kind of thing. Um, and I think there's space for that in the new range as well. There are space for interpretations of slanesh that aren't just. And now BDSM and mm. crabs, like, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, it's the whole thing's just really rad. Like, I think the same part, it's like somewhere between the part of me loves chaos and the part of me loves vampire counts. Right, like, right. I do love vampy things generally. Mm. And so it's this very, you know, very exciting confluence of, of stuff. It'd be quite hard not to go all in on it, to be honest. Yeah. So, uh, are they, release any new units for Slanesh or still the old demonets and stuff so yeah so the so demonets they're not renewing anything so um the i've completely forgot what the big mirror is called but Mm. that is a new unit Mm. seleski is a new unit shalaxi hellbane is a new unit and the keeper of secrets rules are completely changing so it may as well be a new unit yeah um i believe the hellstriders which are the mortal dudes on snoot beasts Mm are splitting into two units because that makes sense because they have two wildly different builds. Right. Like they may as like one of them, they're sort of like fully armored, like Greek warriors holding whips mm. and the other, they are topless with big crab claws. Why not? And so they are becoming two separate units, I believe uh, cool. from one kit, but that's an old kit. So it's, you know, mm. it's just repurposing basically. Um, there's loads of new rule stuff they've revealed. I don't have it to hand, so we can't really get into it, but I'm definitely going to buy the book. Like, I'm definitely going to buy the book just to kind of page through it and think yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah. But it's definitely, like, thrown my sort of, you know, when we get to this, but it's definitely thrown my plans for the year up in the air a bit, because, mm. like, I love the New Skaven stuff, and I'm happily building away at doing kind of Scryer stuff, but genuinely having I put loads of time into corn recently, which I imagine we'll get to, but when that stuff's wrapped up, I really wouldn't be surprised if Slanesh was next for me, because... Like that's all right. Yeah, man. Like, and I, I would, you know, if you told me a while ago, like the, the greater demon you do after the Lord of change would be a keeper of secrets. I would have said like, really? <laughs> and I wouldn't be that surprised because it's not out of the question, but like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But genuinely, I think it will be because amazing. I got it to see it in person. At, yeah. You know, they look fucking store. terrifying as mm. well. Like, I think, I think there's a danger with Sinesh that they end up sort of being the first chaos God to really benefit from sort of AFS 2.0 power creep because mm. they, seem to be able to do a bit of everything but it'll be interesting to see how it works out yeah, interesting hmm. uh what else news wise did happen oh man there's so much stuff um so we will get this episode out before warhammer fest but at warhammer fest they're going to reveal whatever magic painting thing they claim to have invented <laughs> right whatever i don't know what it could possibly be so speculation about it yeah so there's this um the only thing that's come out is the name hmm. which is contrast right and that I think narrows it down. Yeah, it's kind of because there was lots, lots of thought that it might be like a an airbrush. An airbrush. Yeah, and this kind of contrast doesn't imply that to me at all. Yeah, my guess is some kind of sort of game workshopified pin wash or something, hmm. like a wash that uh, sort of dries in recesses, doesn't dry on flat surfaces, or something like that. So, uh, which is what you can already do with an oil wash hmm. um, that would sort of fulfill the remit that they've described for this thing, which is it helps you paint lots of models quickly. Right. Like something like that, where you spray a model and you hit it with a pin wash and then 
you're done. Mm. Basically, in terms of defining surfaces would be would fit the bill, but I really don't know. Mm. Like, I feel like they've hyped it so much that it has to be something big. But then again, uh, Malai Importance also didn't, you know, that's hyped a lot and turned into a, yeah. a small book and some and four models. Mm. So it's an interesting one though, because mm. I've sort of held off on my planned airbrush purchase to find out what this is. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Con- contrast. I don't understand what like uh, another wash would do that. Uh, it- that would be different from the existing washes that they have. Like there are ways of formulating just like a thicker one, maybe. Uh, yeah. Like, and uh, yeah, there are things they could do. I think with that, I think an expansion to the paint range would be a big deal. Like if mm. they wanted to add new colors or bring things back or whatever, like an expanded range of spray paints would be a really good thing for them to do, mm. I think. Mm. But yeah, I had a theory for a while that it might be like spray, smaller spray cans of individuals at Adele Shades, which would actually be great. Mm. Like, imagine if you get a little spray can of Rakoth flesh or something like that for skeletons or, you know what I mean, rather than being stuck to the huge cans of the limited range that they do have. Mm. I don't know if they necessarily want to wander off into the world with vastly more aerosols, but like, you know what I mean, there's, there are things they could be, but... Hmm. Nonetheless, it's a weird thing to be trying to figure out what the hell they <laughs> yeah, mean. Yeah. It's like we've reinvented painting. I was thinking yeah. of like a different dry brush formulation that's, that basically simulates wet brushing and lets you very quickly create blend effects with a dry brushing technique. Yeah, right. But I've, I've no idea what, if that's even possible with painting. Maybe a blending <laughs> medium isn't a bad Yeah, shout. blending might be like, that's kind of the hardest thing, right? Like the, yeah. The reason why the, the difference between dry brushing something and actually spending hours and hours blending it is the big difference between something you might throw down on the table or something you see in, in Golden Demon eventually, like blending techniques and, yeah. and uh, easy transitions between colours. You can you could do it currently with lots and lots of glazes or by meticulously mixing lots of colours and applying them carefully. But if there's something that made that easier, that would be a, that would be good. I yeah. don't know, it'd have to be some magic thing though. <laughs> I think, well, like a slow-drying... Um, medium would do it because you'd, you'd that's a good uh, apply a medium yeah. and then it makes the, the paint, paint stays the wet yeah. yeah and then you actually which is a, a technique already but like something that actually keeps the paint alive a bit longer on the model would be interesting yeah, that would be interesting there, there must be third party versions of that I think there are I don't I don't think it that also solves the the problem poised which is how do you get through loads of grey models quickly that's true you know yeah that's like how do you That'd be more of a quality thing yeah right? how do you paint a lot of very good robes very good. <laughs> yeah right um so yeah i'm fascinated to find out what it is mm. like i can't make it to one of fest this year because of work but mm. uh, i'd love to go partly to figure out what like just to f- gauge whether or not it turns into the big thing that it's yeah and there's um golden demons running on both days this this year which is cool so yeah yeah everyone gets to see it yeah um so i guess we'll find out more about that when it happens um what are your thoughts on sylvaneth and caradron for warhammer underworlds that happened yeah right? that's true i really like the models yeah. And as I've got like a small Sylvaneth force and I'd probably just buy them just to have those cool models. Yeah. They're really, cool. they're really, really nice. One of them make like a really great branch, which alternative. Yeah, definitely. Like- uh, and also the, like the tree revenants. Again, this is one of the reasons why the book needs a refresh. They've never been that useful, but the yeah. models are really, really cool. So having, uh, these are the guys who are kind of half tree, half elven warrior <laughs> yeah. uh, from the old world. Uh, so it's good to see them kind of getting more, more models and more use. Um, yeah, I really like it. Uh, Caradron, I can always, I've always been able to like sort of take or leave the Caradron really. They all look quite similar to me. Yeah. Uh, but they're still, it's still a cool set. It is. Yeah. I think, I think rules wise, it'd be interesting to see how they sort of work out. Like the Caradron mm. is, is short and 
slow and ranged and yeah, still think the balloon boy. There's still like two moves, like move two, aren't they? Apart from the balloon guy. Right, he can actually float around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's cool. I love to see that game expanding. It's a really cool game. I, I just don't really have time for it at the moment. And yeah. To keep up with the card meta and the, you know, the, the, do the deck building and a lot of the concentration required to actually build a decent warband. Yeah, right. Mm. You know it would help you play more Underworlds? Some help. sort of video game adaptation of yeah. One Underworlds. Yeah, that was a really big surprise. Um, yeah, so it, what's it called? Warhammer Underworlds Online. Online. Yeah. Uh, so it sounds like it's going to be, from the basic description, a very faithful rules translation just into digital yeah. form, basically. And in the, the opening trailer, at the very bottom, you could see Steelheart's champions wandering across the screen. So it's probably going to start with the core, the core warbands from the first edition. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's a, it's a really cool thing. I wonder, I, I do wonder, like, how the expansions will work, how cards will work, unlocks will work in the game, and whether it's going to follow the kind of monetization model that Underworlds itself does. That would be mad. Mm, yeah, I don't know how it <laughs> could work, right? But some Yeah, they said that. that the Warbands wouldn't come out in the same order they came out for okay. uh, original mm. War Underworlds. So, don't know, basically. Yeah, so that, I'd expect those to be paid for expansions. It might work a bit like Blood Bowl does, where yeah, you just right. buy teams, you buy a by a warband as, as DLC, really. Yeah, um, I think that'll probably be it. Mm. It'll be interesting because it's not a developer that I think has especially done a lot before. Yeah. So, um, and obviously the quality of GW games is hit and miss and mm. always has been. Um, but like if I could like play a game of Underworlds easily at my desk. That's really cool. On my lunch break. Yeah, that's great. That's, I, I'm going to do that. Mm. I'm yes. going to do that because I love that game and like you, I have, really struggled to find time for it mm. um, particularly as it's gotten more complicated yeah yeah uh the i'm really interested to see how digital artists interpret the universe of yeah right uh, aos and also the warbands and how they're going to animate and look and um that's like potentially the could be a, the point of most disappointment depending on how things go with it uh because that not many games i think there's aos champions has modeled some heroes and stuff uh, uh not, not, champions, not champions the the one, the one that's basically realm battle realm like war realm war yes i think it's realm war realm war but um did a fairly good job of kind of just modeling the heroes and stuff like that uh but it's, it's gonna be the first time i've actually seen stormcast fight like yeah right and it, there's there's it's a good opportunity to do it well because it's basically battle chess really isn't it you, you yeah. can just have some cool animations as they attack each other but Please don't mess that up because it's going to be <laughs> sad. I think it will be, I think I, I'm expecting the most obvious interpretation of what those things look like. Yeah. Which is Diablo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like I'm looking, yeah, really looking forward to it because like it's such a great fit for that as well. Mm. Like the rule set is so clear at the same time, but you know, really deep. And, yeah. Yeah. And the issue with it is only time mm. and availability of games. So you know potentially kind of dangerous in a way <laughs> yeah mm, good yeah great um so that kind of brings us to the end of new stuff uh before we get into kind of what we'll be doing this month i thought we might uh talk briefly about the corn book because yeah of interesting course. and it has some sort of news adjacent things in it mm. um so uh corn got a new book this month which i think we knew about it last month but it came mm. out and i i bought it because you know uh, I have a con for hmm. and it's, uh, I, I don't have loads to say about it because obviously it's an update, except, um, I think it's a testament to like, I think it's a really smart update hmm. of corn. I've been quite impressed with it. Like we have some since played with it and we can obviously get to that in a bit, but it's been good to see stuff 
made more consistent and simplified across armies. So it feels like early AOS, a lot of the war scrolls have a lot of conditional sort of effects and things mm. and things to keep track of. And uh, especially Korn did like Korn had a lot of units that got better if they killed things in a certain way or got a buff next turn if they killed something this turn. And just from a rules point of view, seeing that stuff straightened out and consolidated into really simple rules um, is actually really, I think ultimately for the best mm. because, you know, as you were saying earlier, Tom, that like AOS isn't ultimately a game about picking optimal loadouts for units. Mm. I think that's even, I think it's even becoming less, more the case over time. If you know what I mean? Like, yeah. To give you an example, Skull Reapers, which are the sort of corn heavy infantry units built out of the same kit as Wrathmongers, the wavy arm tube. <laughs> the really silly corn. looking. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, they used to have two separate sets of weapon options, which were effectively demon weapons or regular weapons with a different great weapon option in both sets. Mm. Each of those, so that's, that's immediately four different weapon variants that each have a different profile. And plus the option for them, some of them to have a demonic mutation, which has its own weapon profile. And then two sets of special rules for each profile set, right? So really you've got two units in one. Yeah. Um, that has all been simplified to the point where now they have to still have the names of all those weapons because the people have equipped their units with one or the other. Now, all of those weapons have exactly the same profile. Oh, it good. doesn't matter. It literally doesn't matter what mm. they're holding. They just have the Skull Reaper profile. Yeah. And it makes so much more sense. God. And it's, it's, it's like, it's splitting hairs the rest of the time. It really is. Mm. And the thing I really like about that, and they've, you know, they've, they've simplified the rules about, like, used to be that, like, Skull Reapers used to have a rule where when they had killed more models than there were models in the unit, they get plus one to a, their attacks, I think. Right. I think that used to be it. That's just gone. It's mm. just been factored into their points cost and, and profile elsewhere. Yeah. And I realized that like, while I like reading rules and figuring stuff out, that stuff is exhausting and slows games down really tremendously. Does. Yeah. So seeing it gone is great. Mm. Like, and the other great thing about it is actually the Skull Reaper kit, which is kind of an expensive box. It's like 30 quid for five models. Um, is actually kind of great value in some ways because it comes with so much stuff because you have all these weapon options only because it's, it does build an entirely different unit, but even within the Skull Reaper unit, it has like two different complete sets of weapons and great weapons. You get so much stuff in that box that I was building mine. I built one of them and played with one of them in a skirmish game uh, prior to this book coming out. And now that the book had come out, it meant that when I was building them, I didn't really matter what weapons I chose because they have one profile basically. So I just built this elite unit, basically trying to make each individual model look as cool as I could make it yeah, and yeah. not worrying at all about what they were carrying mm. because it made no difference rules wise. And that is actually way better. Like I think, you know, people talk about respecting sort of what you see is what you get WYSIWYG stuff on, but when you build your models to represent the rules you want, I think if you just have really much more open rules, anything can be what you see is what you get. Yeah, right. And that's better <clears throat> because it means that you can just build the model you want to make. Mm. And so that kind of simplification is something I would really support if they wanted to spread that out across yeah. the range. I'd love to see almost a hard and fast maximum two weapon profiles to a unit. Yeah. And it'd just be like ordinary weapon, great weapon. And that great weapon could just be any big thing. And the small weapons yeah, could be any like small Yeah, like imagine if you could freely mix and match hammers and swords with liberators. Yeah. Just to create a little bit of sense of they'd variety. They'd look awesome, right? Yeah. Um, no, you'll hardly ever see those sword models because because of the rules, basically. Um, there are just so few contexts where you would do that in games. But yeah. Yeah. 
it's rad. Like I built those sword weapons and it's like, oh, this guy's like a dog guy and he's got like a knife in one hand and the axe in the other. And this guy's got a two handed axe. And part of me wants to care that they're different. Mm. And I, actually, I don't really. I want them to look good and then hit things. Yeah. And it's nice that there's not a massive difference. Like obviously the standard bearer has different rules, mm. but again, but it's not like it's just that melee weapons work differently than in 40k. A flamer should behave differently to a yeah, grenade. Right. Uh, should behave differently to a pistol or a assault rifle. They they all they all do do very different things. Um, but a spiky thing you prod someone with like could, could be anything, right? It, yeah, why right. Distinguish. Well, this is I think something that gets missed a lot. This is the really key difference between fantasy and science fiction. I think mm. as a as, particularly when it pertains to games. Like science fiction is, is about details. It's about logic and technology, really. Mm. Yeah. It's, you know, it's about how, th- you know, even when you're talking about space magic, it's about how things work and how, you know, and therefore gear is part of that. Fantasy, no fantasy story, no myth or legend is really about how something works. It's just that it works. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And it's more about, uh, heroes and personality and, and intent and honor and, mm. You know what I mean? Like there's, I mean, those things can exist in science fiction as well. Um, but you know, fantasy to the extent that fantasy takes after folklore, folklore, we were talking about this earlier in a video game context, but mm. folklore is full of examples of things that just happen a certain way because of their symbolic significance yeah, or right. because of something else. So in a fantasy game, I think you really shouldn't need to worry about the pedantry of weapon options to a certain extent. Mm. I think there are examples where it makes sense. Like I think, you know, with, um, I think it's true of Skaven and, uh, Grotz. Both can be equipped with like the, the shitty ones, clan rats particularly can either have like hand weapons that are slightly more accurate, but short arranged or spears that can poke between two ranks. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. have a worse to hit. Yeah. Skirt like that's like fine. That. Yeah. That makes very similar. That makes sense to me. You know, that, that, you know, that's, that's visible on the model. It kind of makes sense as an idea. That's a good example because it also enables ranks to be a thing if you've yeah. got long range weapons. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. I agree with that for sure. But if, if, when you're in the, in the context of a, you know, the standard one inch melee range, mm. I don't really care. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, obviously I match ma- things like shields matter, right? Like yeah. having a shield versus dual wielding, which is a relatively consistent trade off in AOS. Mm. Like it tends to be a trade off between re-rolling to sh- hit and re-rolling to save. Yeah. Which is, that's elegant. I think. Yeah. That's, that's pretty fine. elegant. Yeah. Happy with that. Mm. Like that, you know, that sort of thing's fine. But I think, um, I, it was amazing what difference that small rules change that took place. And maybe I appreciated it because I literally started building this unit one before the book and mm. finished afterwards what a difference it made to my enjoyment of that kit as well oh good like mm. you know because it's like suddenly this has gone from the stress of like looking at the guide and going oh these ones are the demon weapons and i want the demon weapons so i'll cut these pieces out mm. so i don't accidentally use any of the cool pieces i'm not allowed to use because yeah, they yeah, they're yeah. not technically the right rules like to being like oh I, I want this guy to have maybe a knife in his other hand what knives are on this sprue oh there's loads of them i'll mm. take this one you know like that's just a much better that's experience more fun. much more fun Otherwise, like, it's a pretty, like, it's not a really, like, it doesn't strike me as a very sort of aggressive update. Like, they've not been sort of huge, given huge buffs and stuff, but it's really been really nice to see it all made consistent mm. and really fun to play with as we'll get yeah. to. Yeah. Like, the blood tie system, which is where you get a point every time a unit dies, has been sort of uh, fleshed out and merged formally with summoning from the new General's Handbook so that it's... yeah like all one system really now good. which is I, nice playing against it um i found it much easier to understand what was going on with your army than with a lot of other armies yeah which uh, is it's more fun for your opponent when the rules are kind of centralized a little bit yeah definitely and and um and, this, and it's been it's fun i think i'm adjusted already but 
to see the law kind of updated because corn has kind of been there since the beginning. Mm. So the law sort of spans all of Age of Sigmar. Yeah. Um, there's a few cool, I mentioned the flux cans already, but, um, there's a reference to the sort of port portals to Ulgu, the realm of shadow opening and new threats to corn spilling out. Yeah. And the book mentions the warrior women of Marathi, which is the daughters of Cain and something darker. Ooh. So I don't know what the and something darker is. Interesting. That could be Slanesh. Corn finds threatening. Yeah, it could be Slanesh. Yeah. Um, but it could be whatever Malyrian is up to. Yeah, yeah. So that's exciting. That, that seems like a little interesting. Yeah. So yeah, in terms of other stuff buried away. And like I said, it, it brings it up to date with other stuff. My favorite bit, however, is the amazing justification that Corn has endless prayers now. Oh yeah. Um, which is that um corn like corn hates wizards and the fact that the age of Sigmar is currently going through the arcanum optima you know the, this age of magic mm. and the spells everywhere is so enraging to him <laughs> that it is genuinely threatening the like the fabric of reality like um it's you know corn is now directly involved so the the explanation of those judgments is that in some ways they are corn kind of literally just intervening mm. to go to to specifically to kill wizards like specifically to kill wizards yeah, yeah there's a little story about like the first time any slaughter priest ever summoned a judgment of corn and it's because he was just killing wizards one day <laughs> just busy killing wizards and like the more grisly the death of the wizard the bigger the judgment that appears <laughs> mm. um you we were talking last month about how it's nice when the appearance of these terrain pieces makes sense at least or it can be justified within the fiction and i think we even said that it was weird that cornate hordes would be setting up a little stage for their slaughter priest before yes. a battle yeah that's not how it works mm. the stage tunnels out of the ground immediately like directly out of hell <laughs> okay in order to give a slaughter priest a taller platform from which to shout at wizards <laughs> and they manifest when a slaughter priest is so angry at a wizard that they need like a soapbox to rise out of the yeah, ground yeah. so that they can explain why this is bullshit <laughs> it's great I really like that. Stuff. Yeah, that's very good. Like, there's a lot of like you can tell the points where the the background writers are having fun with it, and mm. it's like there's definitely a lot of like just trying to articulate just how much he hates wizards <laughs> and really wants to see them get splattered. Basically, <laughs> that's good. That's it's very good. good. Uh, but yeah, I, I was really tough with it, and actually sort of prompted a lot of my hobby stuff this month, just trying to you know pull together the corn stuff I I do already have because. Mm. Um, yeah, I really like that stuff. And now that the range feels relatively complete with some new demons and things, it's mm. sort of fun to uh explore, actually, the possibilities that are, are possible now, mm. um, which we'll get to when we talk about the game we just played, I yeah. suppose. Yeah. What's your um hobby month been like? It's uh, still Blackstone Fortress, but I'm very close to the end of it now. Oh, wow. So uh, I'm just uh, I'm painting the Chaos Space Marines and the Chaos Sorcerers. Um, yeah, I saw really, one of yours. Really, really fun. Um, they've got these kind of bulging heads, like they're, yeah, because psych- they're big nerds. Psychopowers, <laughs> their psychopowers are kind of uh, changing their skulls. They're kind of bulbous and seem to be pulsing with this kind of, uh, yeah, weird energy. Um, and I, I bought some of, uh, GW's brass paints for the Chaos Space Marines and they're really nice. Which uh, ones? Cause some of them are horrible. Yeah. So it was, uh, there's, it's a good question. Which ones? Balthazar Gold is good. Uh, yeah, it Secretly wasn't that one. Brass. Um, it was a Skaveny one. Uh, uh, Warplot Bronze? War, yeah, that's right. That's why I used my coin. Yeah, so it's, it's really, really dark, but it's really good coverage. And, um, yeah. Then Brass Scorpion, uh, which is a, a, a kind of gold actually. Um, 
and then highlighted with a bronze highlight. I can't remember. It's not Psychorax, yeah. but it's the other one. Um, and bits of silver, and it just looks really, really nice against the black armor uh, of the of the Space Marines. Um, because it meant more, painting more black armor, which is just an exercise in very slowly sh- doing small line work around <laughs> edges, uh, but not too much so it doesn't look grey. And uh, yeah, that, I, black armor can look awesome, but I just don't have the patience to do a whole army of that. That really, which is yeah, kind of blame me. Uh, yeah, um, but it's, it was. But what I love about Black Stone Fortress is it's just like two. There's two wizards, and then you're done. And there's just two chaos space wings, and then you're done. And there's one big evil hero guy and then you're done and it's just so snackable and nice and uh not having that sense of oh i've got to do 10 of these yeah uh, right. is really good and it, it lets me lavish more attention on the ones that, that that are in the box after that all i've got to paint is the big priest fella um whose name i've forgotten and uh, thaddeus the purifier yeah uh so i've played the first game this week and now realize how easy it is to totally die in that game uh, yeah what was your party composition i'm interested in it was uh the big robot who was amazing yeah he's very good he's very very good and uh took the halflings who did terribly <laughs> but i just didn't use them very well and uh i also played with um the fanatic flaming fanatic pious vaughn. pious vaughn she's great yeah really fun to use and um chimp played as the navigator who's like his passive's amazing. His passive's incredible. Uh, he's, he can't do a huge amount <laughs> on, in a, in a fight, but his, um, his passive's really good. And also you can actually bring people back from the dead. His shield's good. His shield That's is good. good. We use that. That was good. Um, yeah, it was, it was quite a, a learning experience really, but there's, there's a lot of components to the game, a lot of kind of phases and stuff to work through. So it was very much a, a test, yeah. a test mission and a, a sort of learning experience really. Um, but now I've seen how the phases all kind of fit together. And I love the fact that there's like expedition and there's shopping. Yeah. Uh, it's really fun. And then how I love how characterful the actual, uh, heroes are to use in combat. Like their abilities yeah. are really fun. So the, this, the, uh, the robot went up and just squashed a spindle drone in close combat, became inspired and then just mowed through loads of Imperial guards. Um, the traitor guard even. Yeah. So like in that inspired state, like she becomes incredible. So uh, my girlfriend, Emma, fiance Emma was just like, mowing went through the entire battlefield <laughs> single-handedly while my halflings died in a corner and uh pious fawn and to in a to pious's credit like she set fire to a room full of uh traitor guard and they had a very bad time <laughs> yes what she does uh she, yeah i love her ability to put down like two hexes of yeah of fire that the, there's a sort of primitive AI to the way that traitor guard work, for example, where some of them will just run at you. Like the, the guys with the melee weapons, um, will try and get close to you. So you could just get, p- put flame down and they'll just go through it and take damage. It's really fun. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, I it's really love that game. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. I'm, I'm looking forward to now I understand the rules actually kind of running a better session. Uh, yeah. Time. Me and, uh, my friend Will, who I've been playing it with are on the final stretch now. Oh, right. We, cool. might, we, might, we might beat it, which is Ooh, kind of exciting. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I had an amazing, I don't, I don't know if this happened before the last pod or not. I think it might have been after. Stop me if I mentioned it. But, um, we had an amazing game where we kind of sacrificed Dayak to hold up the Chaos Lord as he was being chased down a, like a oh, cool. tunnel right, by yeah. Obsidious Malex. Yeah. And Dayak managed to solo Obsidious Malex oh by himself, <laughs> which was like, well, solo by himself is a, not, is a tautology, but like, it was genuinely one of those like, holy How shit, did you dude? do that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He took exactly as many wounds as he had health spots right yeah yeah like grievous wounds like he's not getting them you don't back. Get back right but purely on destiny dice um i 
basically mined the entire corridor as much as I could with mm. his bomb. Mm. And that kept doing damage to him. And because Obsidius Malax was waiting down the corridor, the other Chaos troops and the, the, the dudes behind him couldn't get through the corridor because yeah, yeah. the Chaos Lord's filling the entire corridor. Yeah. And then it just took this Hail Mary, like, knife to the face. But I got a crit on it. Mm. took him out. Oh, my like, God. Oh, my God. And then, so <laughs> Dayak's thing is he doesn't have an Inspire condition like the others do, like a specific one. Yeah. That, like, you know, in this circumstance, they automatically inspire. But he has an easier time getting XP because, like, you know, the way you get XP in Blackstone is after when your t- when, a, when a character's turn is complete, you roll a d20, and if you roll underneath the number of you count up how many wounds worth of stuff you killed, mm. and if you roll under that number, you get an XP point. Mm. So normally you're killing like four wounds worth of stuff a turn. It's quite hard to get an XP point. Mm. Uh, Dayak doubles that number. Oh, uh, so he uses so, inspiration to inspire rather than... Yeah, who uses his XP to inspire rather yeah, than okay. inspiration. But like, okay, right. but so if he kills, I don't know, two, four wounds worth of stuff, he gets an XP on an eight or under. Because, mm. but the idea is he eats them. Like <laughs> right. Because he, oh, he's a fruit. He's a, so he, oh, he right, eats yeah. them and, and gains their genetic information. Yeah. But, um, Obsidius Malax has 12 health. So it's 24 mm. for him. So, no, he, well. so he automatically gets an XP. Yeah. When he eats him. <laughs> wow. So he just ate Obsidious Malax. And I don't, I don't know where he's gone now. Like, well, I'm going to certainly have to fight him again. But yeah, it's like, yeah, oh shit. Again. Like, that's a- well, that was a game changer. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> like, he's a bit thing or something. Yeah. Also, um, yeah, based on the outcomes of one of the special dungeons you do, um, uh, Pius Vaughn's now carrying around a blaster pistol from the dark age of technology, like prior to wow. the big technological collapse of humanity that she's using to like fucking fry people. And that it's is awesome. as hell. That's awesome. It's so good. That game. I really love it, man. I can't wait to get into it. It's really fun. It looks yeah, amazing. I'm impressed well. that you spent all the time painting it. Cause actually mm. I did that with silver tower and this one I just got straight into. Yeah. 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 It's, um, I think it's just, uh, I loved painting some 40k after yeah. many, like after literally years of doing, um, uh, doing stormcast. Uh, so now it's sort of like, pausing and thinking about what i'm going to do next so it's, it's going to be a it's going to be a kill team next i think so i think i'll go on to do um skitar skitarii kill team i think and use a, a nice muted color palette and also i just want to play some kill, kill team as well it sounds really really good it is good and i've also got the urge to just work on one big model and it might be like the Ambul or something like that, but I was contemplating buying a Baden and sort of like trying to do, like learn some techniques and do, do some proper bending and actually kind of yeah, make yeah. it a kind of showcase model. Um, but I, that could be any hero model. So I'm kind of looking across the range thinking, hmm, maybe we paint a space marine captain or do, you know, the, the range is so vast and so full of cool miniatures and it's quite liberating to say, well, I don't really care if this fits into the rest of my collection at all, really. I just want a, a thing to paint that will be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that's going to be that's on the horizon as well. So that's amazing. I'll, I'll yeah, never awesome. think. I'll never think. Uh, but you've been you've been doing lots of corn, I think, this month. I have. Yeah, I've had a bit of a weird one for a couple of months because I had. I think last time we recorded, I had sort of. I wasn't. I was aware that I was in a slump mm. painting wise, but I wasn't sure what what its nature was. Yeah, it's such a productive January, and I really enjoy getting stuff done. And I suppose my my experience this month has been figuring out how to. So I guess the, the context is like work suddenly gets much more busy mm. and I'm, you know, I have much less free time, but actually in, a, in amongst all that stress, Warhammer particularly remains something that is consistently a source of uh sort of relaxation and excitement, mm. but that increasingly becomes stops being painting and starts being just sort of enjoying it peripherally. Yeah. Right. And this is, I think the danger zone with hobby 
because it becomes theory crafting cool armies or fantasizing about things you might build or mm. get and things. And so I've ended up expanding the shame pile a little bit, you know, like buying the odd bits and bobs because I wanted to paint them. And, um, but struggling to, uh, paint as much as I want. Like I, I try and stick to my hour a day thing. And actually that's broken down a little bit yeah. because hour a day is a really great way to get things done until the point where you literally don't have an hour mm. in a day. Yeah. And, uh, I had never previously been in that position. It'd always been like some days I wouldn't do an hour, but I would have spent that time doing something else. Whereas I literally got to the point in the last couple of months where it's like, I don't have an hour mm. and it's taken me quite a while to get back out of it. So I, I had been batch painting some chaos warriors and doing that stuff. I had been painting some backstone kind of pottering on with that. And I lost momentum on things and everything was sort of too many stages from done that I couldn't make progress in the time that I, I wanted to do stuff. And so one way I initially did it was I just sort of, when the corn book was coming out, just kind of pivoted away from the Skaven stuff I was building. So, uh, obviously last, last month I did say that, you know, Skaven was the new project and it still kind of is like I've been building bases and things, Yeah. but because the Skaven army I'm going to do is literally like 19 models. Each of them is a, is a big old project. Mm. So like proportionally, like I'm not rushing anything with them. Like I built a base for a, 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 um, not a doom wheel, the mini the mini doom wheel, the doom Segway, uh, whatever, the, whatever the fuck it's called doom flare. Oh yeah. Um, you're building the cobblestone bases and, and doing all that stuff really meticulously. Uh, but that's all sort of like on the side. It's just sort of bottles along. And I knew I just, I just wanted to like flesh out corn, get corn to a thousand points so I can play more. That'd be nice. And so I, um, I experimented just with like, uh, I got some blood letters. Um, and I just thought I'm going to just paint these fast like try and break some of my own rules because I'm such a slow painter, I think. Mm. Like sometimes I get stuff done quite quickly, but like I really, you know, I've you know, we've talked about it so much over the last two years, but like I've invented so many weird ways of making things harder. You know, right. like the seven stage way of painting red. Mm. You know, like this is like, and um, and so what I decided I wanted to do was paint um, blood letters that looked like they were kind of comprised of fire. I wanted to reverse the blood letter scheme. Not yeah. only the blood letter, it was like a red bloody dude with a flaming sword. Mm. And I wanted to do a flaming dude with a bloody sword, <laughs> cool. basically. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I had this image in my mind of why I wanted to do it this way. Like my corn is, um, it was actually something you'd said, like you, you, you were around here and you said that like the corn stuff that I've done, I didn't think of it this way. It was like what corn would look like in a movie. Mm. So rather than the red and gold, that's quite garish and cartoonish. Yeah. yeah. It's like the muted brass and like the flaming weapons and things is it's obviously it's metal as hell. Like it's very, very extra, but it's, it's still, it's a lot more muted. It's kind of really realistic. Really. <laughs> and I wanted the demon stuff to like really like explode next to ne- literally like next to the more muted mortals. Mm but still look like they're a part of the same army. So I had this idea of like, I'm going to make a really big, bold decision. I'm going to make them bright fucking yellow, mm. which I would never do. Like this so unlike my kind of way of approaching color. Yeah. And, spe- and specifically they're quite messy. Like, and so I, I did one and, uh, and that was a case of spraying it white. And one thing that's interesting is, uh, that first one I did, I sprayed Corax white mm. and the others I've done, I, I actually ran out of Corax white. So I ended up using an, an old can of army painter white, okay, which is actually white. Mm. And so the others are way brighter right. because Corax white is gray. Uh, mm. but, um, like anyway, so they, it was a way of doing them quickly, which is they're sprayed white and then they are washed with a, a yellow glaze, like lamentous yellow. Mm. 
and then um, then they are dry brushed uh, yellow with uh, aerial yellow uh, over the raised areas. And so it ends up being reverse painting mm. where black is the ultimate highlight. Yeah, right. Because that's how sort of You're glowing from within, glowing from within. Yeah. So it's, um, and it, it was a process that I kind of came up with very quickly. Like that first blood that took me like an hour to do. And it was, you know, uh, bright yellow, bright dry brush yellow, dry brush orange, dry brush brown, dry brush dark red, dry brush black. Hmm. And then, uh, wash again with yellow to tie it all together. And then, uh, orange and yellow glazes to, on extremities and things and then picking out highlights i guess in black mm. and then highlighting the black which is the weird kind of switcheroo yeah where once it like the idea is once it's hardened you then highlight that as if it was solid so it's like a magma flow isn't it like yeah so you cool. then highlight the black parts up through dark reaper thunderhawk fenrisian gray yeah so that sort of you know it's it's a weird way of approaching painting and it's really unnerving because <laughs> it's like it darkens faces and hands like it darkens the areas that would normally be light Mm. you know and so on like brass weapons found a way of doing the swords that i liked um took a way of doing these like blood river bases out of the uh out of the corn battle time actually because they have these like painting ideas which i really like that they've added them to battle time and that means like you sort of heavily layering texture paint, but leaving gaps between the texture paint where a river flows mm. and then filling that with blood. blood nice, nice. And it looks pretty cool. Like yeah. I've done it on my, the blood letters I've done. And, and so I started sort of working on this, but I found the whole process kind of like consistently unnerving <laughs> because like all models you paint go through this, this looks shit phase yeah. before it looks good. And that process particularly, I think because you're not building up color, you're uh pulling it down does that make sense yeah it, you just you're basically making something messy and it was uh you know i used those but the, the first 10 of those i've got another 10 that's almost done in uh in a battle we played today and actually on the battlefield i really liked how they looked like yeah, they really pop they really awesome yeah like and um but holy shit i have i've never done something that i've hated the way it's looked for as long as mm, that mm. like it was literally like i i had to rush to the finish line this morning before you came around to play to just like finish basing them and stuff and like it's amazing and still a kind of a magic trick the moment when a model goes from having one tiny element of it not base coated to all being base coated yeah the difference that makes mm. and like that was crazy with these because it was like oh shit shit this, this is i have all i've done is broken this <laughs> like i've made this worse since the moment that it was on the sprue <laughs> right to being oh it's cool now yeah, <laughs> yeah. like it was exactly. like the final thing mm. it was like the, the when you finish painting the rims basically um but because of that that was that was quite slow progress and not always very rewarding, mm. which is a shame because the idea was to find a way of painting things fast. And I just managed to make them fast, but stressful, mm. which was like the sort of the opposite <laughs> of trade off. Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, it's like, had I decided to spray them Mephiston red, shade them with Carabag crimson and dry brush them with a lighter red, I probably would have been happy with them faster, mm. but it would have been normal blood letters. And I wanted to do something a little bit. Yeah. Different. yeah. And I had this idea of like, uh, now I'm really happy with them because they tell the story that I wanted to tell, which is that, like I've been doing these corn warriors for so long that have these flaming weapons that is licking. And I, I told you the story earlier, I'm telling you for the benefit of the podcast, yeah. but like, you know, they have these flames licking up their weapons and things. And, and in my head, cause my, all my chaos stuff is from the realm of metal. I always had this idea that these are smiths. Like all of my corn warriors are 
sort of master craftsman in a way. Um, but that when they forge a weapon, the final temp, the first tempering is when that steel is, you know, tempered and it becomes a weapon. The second tempering is when they go out as, as these now corrupted kind of followers of corn for various reasons. You know, maybe they were once noble in their intentions, but now they're not. And they go out and temper that weapon a second time through slaughter, basically. Mm. And as they kind of conduct these kind of atrocious acts, that fire kind of grows uh, as if they're still in the forge, like up the axe head or the sword hilt or whatever it is. And then eventually the fire kind of burns away the metal, leaving only like this kind of like raw red kind of bloody fury of corn. Mm. And at that point, these sort of ancient weapons. So I've done the, the blood letter weapons with these kind of blood red blades, but with brass hilts that are covered in verdigris, like they have nylac oxide, you know, the blue, which helps with the contrast, but it's also like the idea that this is an ancient sword. Yeah. Those swords are then sort of like, uh, sacred and this flaming demon kind of grows around the sword mm. to wield it. Yeah. And that is kind of the purpose of the sword is to, cause there's this bit in the corn book that actually fits this perfectly. I didn't realize this was going to then become part of the official law that every host of corn worshippers summons demons in a different way. Oh, cool. Like in some ways it's like, sometimes it'll be like a mass sacrifice. Sometimes it's cannibalism or whatever. But mine are this idea that they forge these weapons and then the history of those weapons eventually like forges the demon mm-hmm. to wield the weapon. Right. So I wanted the, the blood letters to be like these sort of like spirits of forge fire, mm-hmm. basically holding these like ultimate like swords that are so bloody they've turned into blood, like into battle. Yeah. And like now it works, but the process of getting there has been a bit of a, a bit of a slog. Um, the other thing that has really helped actually, and it's only been in the last couple of weeks, I think I've gotten over this slump, like, you know, so I've done a, I've done a bunch of stuff in that time. Like I, I did a, a blood master, which is the new Herald of Corn model in the same style, built him a base that I'm kind of happy with. Yeah. I made a, a pool out of milliput and then like a bubbling pool of blood that he's, he's straddling. Um, that was fun. Um, but, uh, the other thing I did is, um, I, uh, bought some, 3d printed terrain on a whim mm. um, from a place called dark fantastic mills and i've seen the same sculpts in multiple places i think they're original to that site but um i would want to check that i, I I'll, I'll put the i'll definitely make sure i put the right notes links in the show notes but i believe they're original to them either way i'm really impressed with them uh so this particular um site does 3D printed terrain that's themed to the different realms of Age of Sigmar's third party stuff. And it's, it's priced equivalent to GW stuff. Like I got a bundle of essentially their realm of metal kits for mm. about 60 quid. It was on a discount. Um, which basically gave me enough scattered terrain for a four foot by four foot table. Um, we used some of it today. I haven't finished painting all of it, mm. but, um, but interesting to see what you made of it, Tom, actually, because I, I was really impressed with Yeah, with I loved it. it. I thought it was absolutely brilliant. Um, listening. Was like alien about the shapes and the the sculpts of the these kind of metal constructions that are just yeah like the way I describe it is like they're like um, giants causeway so they're sort of like you know rods of rock mm. but I've done them as sort of metal bending metal spires that are mm. like jutting from the ground that has really helped tie that table more specifically to that realm. I also got like a curving realm gate kind of thing made of the same metal yeah but in a hoop. Um, and I, I separately picked up a, a sort of fallen kind of star of chaos that's sort of half embedded in the ground. Mm. And, um, so this is the other thing that helped is painting that stuff. 
what I did is, uh, it's nice at spring at the moment. I'm lucky to have a conservatory with a table in it, which we played Warhammer in today, but uh, normally I just put cardboard down on top of it. And this is something I found really, really helpful and to get out of that slump. And maybe this would be advice that might be helpful to other people. What I did was leave all the, uh, I, I spent, you know, a Sunday afternoon last week and I sprayed all the terrain I needed to spray, whatever color I needed to spray it. So it was ready basically to be painted. And I laid out all this cardboard and put it there and then let set out the paints and the, the brushes and things. And the great thing about terrain, I think specifically, there's many good things about terrain, but one of them is that um, you really don't need to thin your paints of terrain. Mm. Don't worry about that. No one cares. Like it's terrain. Yeah. Like unless you're painting a few fiddly details, that's separate. But like the mm. bulk of it is just getting paint on a thing, big brushes, you know? Um I mean, the same is true of, I think, speed painting in other formats. You probably don't need to thin your paints as much as you think you do, and a big brush will get you through mm. far more quickly than, than agonizing with a small brush will. But what's been really helpful about that is, like, I literally haven't bothered with a palette. I haven't bothered with um, even a water pot in some cases. Um, like, all I've done is left the stuff out there and used the cardboard itself as the palette, mm. you know, next to the pieces. And what that's meant is... There's always something that you can do quickly. Like uh, having spoken about never having had an hour in some cases to do stuff. I've been in a situation where I go put the kettle on and then walk out of the kitchen and pick up a piece of terrain and just dry brush one bit of it or put a wash down on it in a minute or two minutes mm. spend two minutes doing that. And, um, and then go back later in the day. Next time I have a cup of coffee and put the kettle on and then do a follow up wash. I've been doing some blending and things on the, those metal things to give them a kind of chromatic yeah. look. Yes. Nice. And that, some of that stuff was done over the course of days, not because it takes ages, just because when you don't have a lot of time, that's something you can do really quickly. Mm. And taking out the sort of setup of, of painting, like the sort of setting it out and putting it back away again mm-hmm. and just having it out and just being able to pick something up and do something quickly has been really, really helpful. Cause I think it gets you quickly to the point where you're pleased with something and it's done. And that's what keeps you coming back mm. and doing another thing. So that's been really good. And, and it ended up being that in addition to managing to sort of rush a, a couple of new units over the line for our game today, it also meant that we had some new terrain to play with. Just yeah. to have been doing stuff, you know, been whacking riser rust on a huge chaos star for mm. a bit. Mm. Yeah, I was really impressed with the 3D prints because there is a grain to them because the, yeah, the printers is. layer, it's almost like, you know, a topic of, uh, like a type of map isn't it you know the, the mapping thing with yeah. the contours of the uh of the thing but actually uh, a it just works really well as metal and it, it doesn't detract at all from what the model's supposed to be uh, and also you just don't look at it that closely really that the grain just kind of fades off into the detail of the model yeah you shouldn't be looking at terrain that closely i don't no, think like, no. you should be looking at the models i think ultimately but it just it was really evocative i thought and created a really unusual battlefield that uh, I've particularly liked the kind of half moon round gate type thing. Yeah. That's I like it as well. really satisfying to look at just proportionally. Yeah. Some sort of weird, like 3d printed flash is weird. Cause mm. like essentially it's printed in sort of strands of plastic mm. basically, or, or whatever kind of resin it is. And when it goes wrong, it kind of like almost, um, frays like cloth. Right. Like almost like interesting string mm. that's coming away. So there are places on that half moon where it was, quite bad like it obviously not quite taken mm. but what i did was just plug those little bits up with pieces of slate and just covered it in rocks yeah, and because it's a piece of terrain doesn't matter yeah like i probably wouldn't ever 3d mint print a model mm. you know or something more precise yeah but terrain, terrain perfect right um 
yeah, really liked it, really. Um, but yeah, that's how I've sort of ended up climbing out of that slump recently. And now I'm kind of excited to, to do more and, mm. and keep cracking on with it. But I think, um, making it easy for yourself to just get something done is the best thing you can do. Yeah. Cause it doesn't matter, matter what it is, as long as you literally put some paint near something. You'll eventually you've done some hobby and eventually yeah. it'll be finished. Yeah. Inevitably. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to play more. That's the thing I'd love to find more time to do mm. is, is get more games in. Yeah. It's always fun. I always forget how much I like playing Warhammer. <laughs> so <laughs> Which is funny. Playing it. Podcast about it, yeah. It's true. It's true. Why don't we now travel back in time to earlier today when we talked about the game we played even earlier today? <laughs> I always wonder how we end up not talking about the same things over and over again. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. Maybe we do. It's do you know who'll know? the listener (laughs) let us know folks bye Bye. for now so um like cart off the blood hunger we have momentarily traveled through time (laughs) it's the the opposite of that um in order to deliver a battle report that we're recording again before the main podcast while Mm. we can still remember what the hell happened yeah it was a good one it was good as usual yeah, so uh, please bear in mind that Tom and I from this timeline don't have any idea what Tom and I from the subsequent timeline have already said. It's complicated. It's it is complicated. The way we do this. <laughs> but necessary, because otherwise we would forget. Mm. Uh, so we just played a thousand point game of Age of Sigmar uh, using, well, I think a, a relatively familiar army for you, Tom. Yep. And a, a pretty new army for me, although it's stuff I've had for a while. Mm. So running my Blades of Corn thousand points of blades of corn against a thousand points of stormcast in a newly sceneried uh realm of metal yeah beautiful i imagine in whatever past future we've already spoken about the scenery but yeah, yeah i'm sort it. of I'm, I'm committing myself now to having explained this yes in good. the future past it's really good scenery um so yeah so we um and we used the uh open war cards to generate a scenario mm. for this which was Kind of interesting for a bunch of, uh, that this, I really enjoyed the setup for this game because it ended up, uh, and I think this is the best thing that can happen with various kinds of random setup, including rolling for terrain. Mm. It ended up telling the story for us. Yeah, definitely. In a really cool way. So I had an idea coming into this battle about what might be going on because, you know, if uh, people remember the battle report from earlier in the year or they attended the event we did in November last year, um, they know that the end of the previous campaign, uh, Tom, you won. You honked the big honk. Yep. You dooted. It's destiny required. Yeah. Uh, you ate a doom diver and allowed you <laughs> yes, to that was really good. <laughs> take control of, um, all of the realm gates in this area of the realm of metal that all of our sort of campaigns have been set in. Mm. And so I was thinking about this in the intervening months and I thought that it'd be a fun kind of setup for, uh, for the campaign to sort of switch over to my forces of chaos trying to flee that. Yeah landscape trying or in this case the forces of corn trying to corrupt the realm gates to uh bridge a gap to the realm of corn and just escape hmm. basically to, to go rampaging elsewhere basically and then what was great about this is the um the scenario kind of set this up for us so we ended up with a diagonal deployment across a terrain board that we'd already set up as kind of diagonal hmm. with a uh, sort of new two sort of new realm gate style features in either corner of the board sort of opposing each other big chaos star in one end and a kind of twisting arc of sort of zinchian metal newly kind of redeemed i guess by the magic of the big honk 
Yeah, I think uh, there's yeah. still lingering chaos forces, as always. It's not too long after that, right? So the, yeah. the, the Law Hunters of Azir have been, are on annihilation duty. They're basically sending people out to, to find pockets of chaos and eradicate them. Um, but they're you're moving through strange, warped ruins of the ancient civilization. Yeah, use the, the sort of those jutting sort of shards of metal, those mm. kinds of like bendy giants causeways. Mm. Um, as if place them as if they were sort of um like shoving up through ruins through like ruined townscapes and yeah things. so we had this sort of the two realm gates separated by a band of town and then the actual deployment card we drew defined a a diagonal deployment but also a 12 inch band between our two deployments that mm. almost almost perfectly defined that town as well so it was like that was the no man's land this yeah. sort of like little mini sort of fantasy urban environment um and then we got the uh, environmental factor, which was everybody's on minus one bravery. And initially it's like, why is everyone afraid? Like it's Stormcast that don't fear very much and Corn that also don't fear very much. And then, um, and then we got this, uh, uh, objective, which was the, in the third round, three meteors come down that place sort of three randomly placed objectives across the board. Mm. And it's whoever, it's not points. It's just whoever controls the most of them at the end of round five wins the game. So that was the sort of the top, top setup. Yeah. And then in setting it up, um, the, the scenery rolls ended up being amazing. Mm. So the, the gate on your side, the realm gate on your side, uh, became mystical, which gave it, uh, gave, uh, six up invulnerable save nearby. So the sort of the bastion of order. Yeah. The light of Vizier shining through this gate. Yeah. Inspires and, the stormcast. And the gate on my side was inspiring, I guess, to me, mm. but, but in which case it sort of offset the, the bravery penalty elsewhere on the board mm. and uh, as i've done it once before i managed to roll arcane for every single building in the little ruined townscape between those two points <laughs> yeah. so we ended up with this band of magic ruins between these two points and that was super cool because it immediately created this sense that oh what we're wandering through is like a zinchian ruin mm. and no one's comfortable here right the stormcast aren't comfortable here and corn isn't comfortable here everyone hates wizards so I mean, you brought a wizard, but you know, like that notwithstanding, it was sort of like this idea. I like this idea that this battle was two forces clashing in an environment that was sort of hostile to both of them. Yeah, definitely. Uh, for artifacts that they might need for different reasons or, you know, we didn't quite settle on why we were fighting over these points, but, but yeah, like that, that I really liked as a sort of atmospheric kind of opening. Yeah. I love the idea of the, our old campaign having an, a, a living aftermath almost that yeah still Zinch is always there right is always uh, you know under your feet yeah yeah he's waiting he's saturated in the environment now because you won't stop exploding him <laughs> <laughs> um so yeah before we get into the game itself uh what was your force tom what was your army so i had uh, two units of five judicators who are my archers um they always do solid work they're one of the best stormcast units i think uh, and i had a unit of Nine sequiturs, because I haven't painted ten sequiturs yet. Um, <laughs> but they had enough sort of grand maces to, to do some damage. Um, and I had some fulminators, um, who were also just there to shot cavalry. And they were led by, um, a knight in cantor, just because I knew I'd be fighting corn and I had to have a wizard on there just to give corn <laughs> something to, you know, be get really about. angry about. Yeah. Yeah. Also, I love. So you the model your knight encounter is the one that came with that special magazine. I yeah, think. so it was, it was a white dwarf freebie. I think. I think it, no. I think oh, no, so it was. It's the it's a sort of getting started with age of sigma. It is. Freebie. You're right. Yeah. 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 But that pose, like, I think he's elevating his hand to the heavens in a sort of. I don't know what his gesture's supposed to be. Well, what it is, if you look at his base, there's like 
pebbles rising off the ground. Oh, I see. So he's like summoning magical en- uh, energy upwards around him. I see. However, you have to look quite closely to realise that's there what he's is. actually doing. What it looks like he's doing is giving the finger. He does look a lot like that. Because he's got one hand risen and his, he has more than one finger raised. Yeah. But uh, obviously a, a 28 mil scale-ish and looking from above mm, downwards. It just looks like he's giving you the finger across the board. And that is an immediately amazing thing to see. Yes. And especially when he's hide, you know standing behind ranks of Stormcast <laughs> just like from the back cowardly you know. <laughs> Throwing the fuck in the you. Bed. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm a big golden wizard. What are you going to do about it? You giant red man. Um, my corn army, uh, was comprised of, uh, 10 blood warriors, the ones I did ages ago, three, uh, mighty skull crushers, the shock cavalry of corn, the sort of metal rhino riding, um, beef men, um, 10 blood letters, firemen, which I imagine I would have already spoken about on this pod. Um, and then for heroes, a bloodmaster, the biggest of the firemen, mm. um, a, uh, aspiring deathbringer, which is the, I've used, we used him in a skirmish game as well. Like he's a model I really love, the mm. sort of champion of corn. Awesome model. Um, a slaughter priest, very staple corn unit now. Another great model. Very, very good. Um, I have two of them, so uh, I will eventually use more than one because mm. they're very good. Um, and, uh, to fill out points initially, cause I, I didn't get quite as much done as I'd hoped to for this thousand point game, but actually it was a really fun model to have in the game. A, um, Chaos Lord on Manticore with a Mark of Corn. So, uh, actually a Slaves to Darkness unit, but given that they can take a Mark of Corn, a Corn unit for these purposes mm. as a, a, a big monster. And I, I suppose we'll, we'll get onto this, but actually I think we've sort of, I think he's a, a, of the, you know, if we're returning to the bear moths in thousand point games question, manticores are one of the sort of more wholesome feeling bear moths. Yeah. It might simply be because they've got older rules, but, mm. um, not, uh, you know, t- still 250 points, but not, uh, not bedecked in nonsense, really. Just a kind of big heavy hitter, but with its own limitations. Yeah. It's like, it's, uh, I think the thing with the bear moths in a thousand points is that, the, when it goes wrong is when they're the entire points of the army and you've got yeah, right. big, which is some direwolves just to, for battle line. Whereas, yeah. um, the manticore is just at all in, you know, a, a toolbox. <laughs> <laughs> what a tool. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> He's a tool in your toolbox. He's like a thing that yeah. has a specific job, but isn't like the, your whole army isn't built around that thing. Yeah. Like, and so. he had a specific job in this as well. And mm. It was interesting because it was like, and also at 250 points for a big unit, it's not that different to say a 240 point unit fulminators. Yeah, sure. You know, in terms of yeah, impact, impact damage, yeah. like, you know, at that point, it's not, it's not quite so so different i think maybe not to get off topic too much but i think sometimes the issue with bear moths is the special rules that surround them mm. you know what i mean so it's more than just a big unit yeah, yeah right like i could have taken a you know there's nothing quite in that 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 um points threshold for corn specifically but plenty of armies do have a big heavy hitter unit that costs 200 plus points mm. and i think the the nicely balanced bear moths are no different it's just one model rather than two or three or whatever it is right but yeah so we should go into the game so I had more units than you did principally because I had so many heroes. Yeah. Um, corn, I think is very dependent on the heroes. Like, um, you know, there's a lot of synergies and a lot of, uh, buffs. It's very buff heavy army. So, um, you gave me the first turn because mm. you finished deploying first. Yeah. Not really much to say about the deployment. Like I, so I lined up kind of ready to sort of move out on both flanks because neither of us knew where the objectives were going to be. Um, but with, 
like I knew from the beginning that I wanted to stagger my advance somewhat. Like ideally I wanted to hit you with the blood letters and the skull crushers, have the blood warriors somewhere in the midfield mm. and the manticore sort of skulking around ready to respond. Yeah. Right. Uh, because I suppose the most important thing about your deployment was the fulminators being in space. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I almost had the similar idea of like, cause manticore is your most mobile unit. Can move the fly around and easily get to an objective. Of course, I can do that with my um, formulators. And now the, yeah. the drops are guaranteed for Stormcast. So you're not rolling that sort of three, three plus every every turn. Is a valid strategy, really? Yeah, right. And it's interesting how those two things play off each other. Like the Manticore, obviously, you know what area it's patrolling. Mm. You know, if it's a stealth game, you know you know where the Manticore <laughs> is. Yes, but um, it also has the freedom to move around. Whereas once the formulators have committed that's kind of where they are yeah and that's much. that dynamic is really interesting one mm. i think like the benefit of a a mobile unit versus a uh, a deep striking unit mm. yeah the formulators is like they're not slow i think they're about 10 inch move or something but they can't they, they're not like the man's call they can't fly once they're bogged down in combat they're yeah, going to lose sure. a lot of their utility yeah definitely um so yeah so my first uh my first time was in that event flies moved up in the way that i described the uh the funniest thing being the very first thing i did and and actually both of us enjoying me having an extremely short hero phase <laughs> my hero phase was just if i wanted to use any uh blood tithe points which uh obviously there's nothing to gain yeah nothing no points at the start of the game a few prayers and then just saying a prayer to corn mm. and uh, in true tradition of me being able to just find a Perils of the Warp wherever there is one to be found, I just managed to immediately roll a one. All I wanted to do was give the Manticore, actually, on the first turn, uh, plus one to hit, just in case you went for a cheeky early Fulminator. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to make sure that he was ready to respond to that. Uh, immediately rolled a one, immediately took a mortal wound on the Slaughter Priest for no reason, <laughs> really. It wouldn't make a great deal of odds in the long, long grand scheme of things, mm. but it was just, a, it was like, well... I've done this. <laughs> I think of the sort of the wildest stuff that happened around magic and prayers in this game were also a result of that ancient energy residual. Yeah, energy. I like the idea that he says like you know he's, he he does whatever sacrifices necessary to beseech corn mm. for for power to imbue his allies with power, and corn's just like no, you went to Magic Town, you you're not <laughs> you allowed to pay the price. <laughs> you pay the price, or maybe he was reaching for what he thought was cornate power but it turned out to be each and he got yeah. burned suddenly like, like oh fuck the the, the the energy shifted and suddenly it was this kind of yeah like a grinning bird face just yeah it's like oh god not again not again damn it yeah because what i do is definitely not magic <laughs> right <laughs> um so yeah so um what was kind of amazing immediately about this game simply because of the different composition of armies is how quick it went mm, that's true without a, a without a lot of special rules and and hero face stuff mm. So that is it for my first turn. I just moved up and hurt myself by asking Corn for help. <laughs> right. Um, your first hero phase was marked by another amazing magical event. Mm. Yeah. So um, I was lined up. I'd, yeah. You should mention what spells you took, I guess. Yeah, well. that's true. So uh, my archers like were as far away from corners they could be while still shooting, understandably. Uh, I had the... Uh, and then I had like a line of sequiturs in front of them to soak up charges. And then just behind the sequiturs was my wizard, my knight in cantor. And he's got a, a really good spell, uh, where, where he summons a sort of swirling vortex of sigmarite energy that, uh, reduces charge and run rolls for opponents within a certain space and also deals mortal wounds and stuff like that, which is really good against an army that needs to charge you. Like those yeah. charge rolls are so vital. Just taking one off is, is yeah, significant. Yeah. Uh, so I think uh, I rolled so, rolled an 11 i believe you rolled an 11 to cast that to cast that and that i looked good. at you because obviously slaughter priests get one unbind because mm. they hate, do hate magic and i guess they just shout stop it and that works yeah um 
And I just looked at you in the eyes and said, here's a double six and then roll the double six. <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> one of those moments. And, um, and, uh, that was Corn saying like, yep, you're, yeah, no magic for anybody. Yeah. No magic for anybody. So Shut this down. It was kind of immediately like having, yeah, it was that sort of priest's extremely hot and cold start to the game. <laughs> right, like, yeah, yeah. Can I have my spell? No. Can he have his spell? No. <laughs> <laughs> but my role was so good that again, I, I think it's, you know, Zinch, that, that, that magical presence, he was able to like turn that, use that yeah, to boost yeah. his role. Everyone so. sort of being warped and changed as they enter this environment. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, so you did, did you do a bunch of shooting that turn? Did a bunch of shooting. Like I just, three blood letters or something. yeah, chipped off some blood letters, got a, um, a blood warrior, I think. That's it, really. Yeah, then I, I won the roll off for round two, mm. uh, which meant that I, which is good because I didn't really want to take two rounds of shooting mm. for nothing. You'd hidden your heroes though, which was good. Yeah, well, I don't think they were hidden, but they were, um, they were all in near units. Uh, uh, yeah, I was playing a sort of game of a lookout sir relay. <laughs> right. So it was like whatever units people could keep up with. Like initially the sort of priest was behind the skull crushers, hmm. but I knew that going in, if I won the next turn, um, he wouldn't be able to stay there because the skull crushers are going in. Yeah. So I tried to, you know, I was kind of pleased with my positioning in this game actually. So it was like, mm. I, I wanted to give heroes jumping off points. So if they have to leave the unit they're with behind, they can easily get to a different one. Yeah. Right. So that's what happened on my next turn. Uh, prayer failed again, uh, but it was on a two. So I didn't take any damage for it. Yeah. Um, and then the, um, the charge rangers were still pretty far out. Like a lot of sort of foot slugging corn stuff's quite slow. Mm. Like blood warriors are only movement five. Um, blood letters are only movement five. Mm. So, you know, I was sort of 18 inches away. So just out of possible charge range. So it was still a case of sort of running. Um, but the, the, but I knew obviously I could get skull crushes in. So I moved the skull crushes up and they were in a position where they, on a good charge roll, they could get into the judicators at the yeah. back, yeah. Uh, which is where I wanted them really. And on a medium, to bad charge roll, they could get into the secretors where mm. I knew they would probably stay until they died. Um, because secretors, but, but because, you know, that was the sort of trade off. It's still worth it because it just means the secretors are doing this, I guess, yeah, for three sure. turns. Yeah. Like, um, but, uh, but that, yeah, that did mean that I could sort of then relay the slaughter priest into the blood letters mm. to maintain his protection. And also kind of, um, I guess the army became sort of, from a unified front became the skull crushers just charging ahead and then two quite chunky flanks mm. basically kept the manticore uh, uh chaos when they take the mark of corn chaos holds on manticores gain a six inch pylon which is a pretty cool thing to have because it's not like pylons are a weird move in some ways but what it allows me to do is screen against fulminators in an interesting way right. not just trying to limit where they can deploy but it means if they deploy somewhere i can't control and charge say my blood warriors or uh the uh deathbringer then as long as i keep the manticore within six inches of the reasonable angles it means that they might get that charge and they might kill that person mm. but the manticore can then just jump on them wherever they go yeah which i really enjoyed as a sort of movement challenge mm. um so that was a fun one and yeah set that up um then uh got a sort of mediocre charge on the skull crushers they went to the sequiturs and the sequiturs were huddled around your realm gate, mm. which gave you the six up invulnerable save. Yeah. Really which good. as long with channeling power to shields, which is the most metal thing. Like, there's <laughs> yeah. a lot of things that are very metal about this, like lightning arrows thunking into fire <laughs> yeah. dudes and men riding metal rhinos crashing into magic wizard shields. Yeah. But, um, 
that coupled with the giant kind of arc gate protecting the sequiturs was a very metal moment. Nonetheless, mm. long story short, nothing happened. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what tends to happen when the sequiturs channel to shields. They get to re-roll all of their yeah. failed Even um, the mortal wounds on the score crusher charge is like one mortal wound. Yeah, like, like, yeah. And you don't worry about that too much. Yeah, no. So that was um, my second turn. Your third turn was mostly spent fighting back, I believe. Like we had yeah. basically one combat for a while. I still, still like shooting the approaching army and then, uh, yeah. having, I think I put power into the weapons that turn and managed to, I think I killed one boar. Maybe. I um, think, yeah, you, you took one of them down. Yeah. That turn. With all great maces, which are extremely good. No, actually that turn you only did. Cause this was your second turn, right? Mm. Yes, it was your second yeah. turn. So, no, this time I think you only took three wounds off one of them. Fair enough. Like it took, yeah, it yeah. wasn't, because they got five wounds each, like so they're pretty yeah, tough. Yeah, they're quite tough. And a decent armor save for, for corn. Yeah, three up. So, mm. yeah. Um, then I won the roll off again, which was good, because we kept alternating, which was good for me, I mm. think, overall. Yeah, I think it was fairly, new. yeah, it's fairly new. No, hang on. No, Is- did I? No, I didn't. I got no. a double turn. At some you, point. you got a double turn. This, this is this was your double turn. Yeah, yeah so I remember this because because um, yeah. also at this point that the meteors came down because this was the beginning of the third round. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, I think with the double turn, I managed to shoot off almost all of the uh, demons. Yeah, and there was only one left. So for that unit of ten, managed to get them down. You'd spent a turn. Oh yeah, that's the thing we probably missed is you did spend a turn shooting at the slaughter priest. Yeah. Like, oh, that's why. Would, why did you make that decision to spend a? Uh, both units as well because like, um d6 mortal wounds is the worst thing to happen to stormcast yeah basically and as soon as he gets in range it's like on a three plus it happens as four up four up uh so you just i just didn't want that going into the sequiturs uh or into my hero or anything like that yeah uh so it felt like that was the most danger because i felt like the sequiturs could take the demons and the boars in combat basically so i wasn't yeah. too worried about that but i wanted to kill the hero to get rid of that, that damage spike it was interesting like because i obviously the, the sort of priest is an extremely useful unit for me because I'm very dependent on buffs mm. and like I, so I had given him um, killing frenzy I think which is the prayer that gives you plus one to attack um, and but at the same time I knew it was going to become a numbers game mm. so I was almost happy to not lose the numbers yeah right if that makes sense yeah like particularly before we knew where the uh, and we didn't I didn't even lose the sort of priest to the shooting it managed to sort of crawl away on like two health I think mm. one health no it was two I think and what was sort of interesting about that is like, I knew I wasn't going to kill the sequiturs, hmm. but all I wanted was to prevent them from leaving the corner. Right. It's like, you I just middle. wanted to stay them, keep them there. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. And so when that, I'll cross your double turn, like sometimes double turns can feel really brutal. That one I felt a little more, more okay with. Hmm. And it was an interesting thing. I think because our army, neither of our armies were like really extreme in any particular regard. Yeah, true. It meant that, um, it meant that there's no, like, a double turn didn't have this huge swinging effect. You know, I didn't no. feel completely out of it after you got that double turn. And, yeah. And kill, even because you did kill loads of blood letters, like, almost wipe, you did wipe out the unit. Yeah. Um, and there's, I think GTK is quite nicely balanced, actually, because yeah. they're really good. But I, I don't think they ruin a game in the way that some sort of blister drop lists can. <laughs> If you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you can you can really game a, a stormcast shooting list if you want to, um, but I think I, I do like the original. And considering that the very first book, Judicators are in there, and there's still this quite this solid, relevant, and they work really well in the game, and they're, they're yeah. not too strong. Um, but there's something your opponent has to think about. Um, so I just thought 
I sort of admired the list writing of that. Whereas, and whereas secretaries, I think, are perhaps a bit too strong <laughs> uh, based on what they do. For, for I think the they are, but I think, like, you know, I think the thing that's helped me understand why Age of Sigmar is a cool game and a game I want to play a little more of is it is an objective game at the end of the day mm. and they are slow. Mm. And so I was obviously, you had made a big commitment points-wise to that block. And I sort of realized that if I can spend less to stop it moving than you spent to have it there, yeah, then That's I, worthwhile. that is worthwhile to me. Mm. So like the skull crush's only job was to, you know, stand there. And actually I think it was on your the second half of your double turn that you got a really hot damage roll mm. and just killed the shit out of some skull crushes. Yeah. Despite yeah. all of the sort of buff work I could possibly do to make them fighty. Mm. Like I think that's probably the part of the battle we've glossed slightly is like, you know, I did manage to get the Bloodmaster, the Herald, into combat with the with the secretors, with the well. secretors, mm. and um, and that was actually a double value because um, uh, that sort of that was a really interesting exchange actually because so I'd given um, the Bloodmaster a relic just because I love the name Kartoth the Bloodhunger, <laughs> which is a time traveling corn sword, really cool. Um, that um, basically what it means is it's a sword that's so angry about wizards that. Um, it, it cuts time itself. And so what it means is at the start of the combat phase, you roll a dice for that hero and on a four up, they fight immediately. Mm. And my intent had been to combo this with the Bloodmaster's innate ability, which is that when they, after they fight, another unit of Bloodletters nearby also fights. So if they were all together, then they all fight together. Mm. In this case, we ended up in a situation where the Bloodmaster made it into combat and the Bloodletters failed their charge, even despite a reroll. Um, but actually, like over the course of that double turn, the fact that in a double turn, I still have this mechanic where I can potentially fight first, even though it's your combat phase on your double turn, mm. actually helped a lot because it meant that 80 point hero stuck around in combat, killing sequiturs and stopping you from doing other things. Yeah, definitely. There's, there's definitely a round where they are only in combat with him yeah and so they couldn't move away they had to move in and deal with it as you, you would have to if a flaming <laughs> time traveling demon of course guy yeah. was nearby uh but uh, he, he's only 80 points that's really nice because it, he can also um his ability translates to other demons as well doesn't it nearby so yes well, no not that one right um like so that allows him to fight first mm. and but then the rule is after he fights you pick another unit with the bloodletter keyword right right and they also fight. So, so they, yeah. So, they, so there's a few units that affect, including skull cannons, uh, blood crushes, uh, blood letters, mm. uh, other blood masters. But like, you can use it to set up these combos. Yeah, nice. The, the ability to skip order like that in AOS is really strong, especially if you can get like a, a double activation yeah, at the start of combat. It's interesting because that stuff is coming into the game in a much bigger way. Mm. Like, I think I don't know if we will have talked about this in the future past, <laughs> but um, thanks, Kartoff the Blood Hunger. Um, <laughs> but. Um, uh, you know, uh, Flashy to Courts have that, uh, Slanesh has that, and the, the question is the difficulty of getting it. Mm. Like, in a, in a corn list, there are a few things that do it, but this is a four up, and it's sort of a conditional kind of. Oh, yeah, thing. sure. And also, there's a lot of maneuvering and keeping groups together in order to make it happen. So you, you have yeah. to aim for that effect and maneuver properly to get it off, which is great. Yeah, and, I think it's probably a bit of a bad feeling. And like, well, I'll say, Eidneth, they get it on their third turn. Right, so yeah, you plan yeah. around that. Mm. I think, I think it can be a bit of a bad feeling if you get it all the time. Mm. Um, but that's something to be resolved, I guess. Yeah. Well, I didn't, yeah, I just certainly didn't feel like it was unfair at all. It was just a really interesting, it's, it's a cool way to manipulate the rules set by changing. Because uh, I played Blackstone Fortress as well recently, yeah. and changing initiative order for who goes where is actually really important in that game as well. And that's actually I, I like games that kind of pick that up as a, a thing that you can manip- manipulate a little bit. Yeah, right. 
which is very cool. I don't know if um, I will commit now to not having said this if we talk about the Corn book, but um, there's a great battalion for Corn, which mm. is three bloodthirsters. Oh well, and the idea is they are not friends; at all. <laughs> they are competing with each other. Oh, cool, They're cool. having a bit of a Gimli Legolas thing. Yeah. So the idea is in the combat phase. After one of them attacks, if that one wipes out a unit, one of the other ones gets to attack immediately. Right, just and try if that harder. one wipes a unit, the next one gets to oh, go as well. Blimey. Yeah, yeah. And if, so if they can keep chaining it, they all go before anyone else gets to go. That's hilarious. Which is great. And it's because, but if one of them fails, then the other one's like, I don't have to try very hard. Try to keep up. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. That's fantastic. Um, so there's a lot of that in corn, but it's quite sort of like, it's, uh, yeah. Anyway, that's more of a rules talk, but I quite mm. like how, um, that's, embedded into the rules it feels quite different to iron jaws say which is like a, a different way to take on the rampaging sort of warrior army culture yeah. army mm, that's right? cool um yeah so where were we so that was your turns two and three mm. um and then is the meters coming down is what really changed yeah so we ended up with an even spread on one side of the board so we ended up with one in the middle one on your your left flank mm deep in your territory and one on my right flank deep in my territory yeah and because of the way i positioned um i was in a good position on my third turn to grab the center one and the one in my territory mm. and continue to kind of just be a nuisance in your territory yeah i guess um but it was going into your uh fourth turn i believe that the sort of we had a really interesting change of fortune in some ways because um my deathbringer been taken down to one wound by shooting and arcane bolts mm. having sort of run around in the middle of the board not fighting anybody and by this point the heroic bloodmaster with cast off the blood hunger was also down to one wound and i'd lost some more units and, and the rest of it um at which point you got off the big you finally got a spell off <laughs> yeah happens yeah uh, yeah i got the whirlwind off um which was you know felt awesome because it does one mortal wound and two of your heroes i think were on one, on one wound so general you killed was. 160 points of heroes with that one spell with that one spell and then put this like protection bubble for that would minimize the movement of any corn coming close and trying to charge yeah um but of course that gave me two blood tithe points mm. which put me up to four yeah which is a unit of 10 blood letters mm. which i had just lost mm. and it was rapidly becoming a numbers game at the same time your fulminators came down and did make their charge nine inch charge yes. into the slaughter priest so they not the most elegant charge there was some poking heads through doorways <laughs> yeah they had to get a very large dragon horse through quite a small opening and then viciously savage a, a hero that's mortally wounded already uh, but they still managed to do it. So it was rolled of a nine which is pretty lucky um but i, I could have potentially re-rolled it i think with the command point no you don't have a hero nearby oh of course yeah so that was that was just really lucky to actually get that charge off and get in there uh, but it meant that they i mean they easily ate that, that yeah. hero and then tagged that point in the center of the board but there are only two models so and to tag a point you need is about how many models are within six inches of it so yeah yeah uh, that, that is a game about bodies at this point and that turn you had like a really interesting choice to make about mm. what you like I enjoyed this game partly because we were both very open handed about what was possible. Right. Like I was partly, you know, I was still learning corn. So, mm. but I have no problem talking out loud about how summoning works right. and what I can do mm. and where I can do it. And so we were both able to make decisions, I think with relatively, relatively complete information yeah. about what was possible. So there's two things. So you, 
the there's only one hero left, which was yeah, the Manticore. Uh, which is the Manticore, and you have to summon within twelve inches of the Manticore. It has to be nine inches away from enemy units, and suddenly it became this spacing game of where can I put the units to make this as complicated as possible? Because there, there you could have Stormcast don't have many people. This is an elite army for that yeah. reason. But like you, you roll them in units of five or ten, you don't get many. So in in bodies uh, scenarios, they have to work quite hard to screen off areas and stuff like that um so i just sort of moved my archers up and my sequiturs up uh and tried to make the movement for the manticore as awkward as possible yeah uh, but i i doubled down on the point in my territory and basically yeah. made it ensured that the contest would be for the central point where my formulators were um so yeah at that point it became a kind of interesting race <laughs> Yeah, right. Like, you made the decision not to charge the Manticore with, like, the Judicators or something. I did think? think about it, and it might have been the right play, um, because you could retreat. You can retreat and summon, though, right? Yes. It's so, just the end of my movement phase. So yeah. you could have retreat, run, and then summoned anyway. So I wonder if, like, it's hard to pin a flying monster that, it is, that yeah. they can get away. Uh, so they, they could have charged, and but I don't think they'd have pinned you very effectively. Um, and... I still had two full units of Judicators who can put out a lot of damage and two living Formulators who can also put out a lot of damage and some Wandering Sequitors who are slow, but if they manage to get anywhere, they they can also do some damage. So even if you summoned, I thought, there's a chance I could kill the summon. Yeah, right. And uh, then yeah. then see <laughs> see uh, what the board state ends up like. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, like it was one of those. It was one of those great moments that happened in a war game where there weren't wasn't a right decision. Right. It was just it like it's like what is the going to be the state what that the we have to resolve? Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I kind of I wanted to bet bet on the formulator's armor, and hope that they could buy me time in the center. Um, yeah. Rather than bet on the judicators in the corner, who would have gotten wiped out potentially by by something. Yeah. So this brought us into my fourth turn. So the end of round four, and like I knew I had to kind of like really play for every possible advantage, basically because if I can take that central objective off you, mm. it's going to be very unlikely you get it back. Sure. Because of how deep in the, your own corner you were, mm. and because of AOS two's tag and keep it rule. That's just very welcome. Very, it's, you know, that's a really interesting dynamic then. So, you know, my blood warriors had been committed to the corner to grab that objective. They had to turn around and run, go back the other way. Mm. But they couldn't run. They had to charge. And I had enough command points, partly through using earlier in the game, one blood tithe point to get a command point that I knew I had at least one spare charge reroll in the back, as long as I could keep them close to the manticore. Yeah. And so my, that turn was all about positioning so that I could, I sort of like, I guess did a, I ended up making for a rad photo that I imagine will be in the show notes that like the manticore kind of like perches on the side of a building near the fulminators so that I could sort of project a full unit of 10 blood letters into my own back line. Yeah. Nine inches away from the fulminators, which meant that just through one of those great sort of narrative game moments, the blood letters actually appeared right in front of the gate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is almost like they're being projected forward through my realm gate. Yeah. And um and the blood warriors moved up in an awkward queue, like three <laughs> a three wide column at this point, but it's as close as they can get. But uh the blood letter banner lets them reroll charges, mm. and that meant I had so I had a three inch charge for the manticore, I had a charge with a, a, a baked in reroll for the blood letters, and I had a charge with a command point spare for the um blood warriors yeah so it was a relatively reliable turn of charges mm. 
Um, so making all three was great. Like the bullet has had a great charge. Well, I think they rolled a 10 off the bat. So that was great. But I was fairly confident in that. Like yeah, it was right. like, it would have been quite unlucky to fail all of them at least because like the manticore is a three inch charge, etc. So yeah, I'd have to remember some GCSE maths to figure out what a roll of nine twice, what the odds against that are. I'm going to say 50, 50. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I mean, but it was good. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, like I was still trying to set up for maximum the game, right? Is yeah, yeah. for maximum chance of this happening. Uh, so I got the blood letters in, in a weird way, cause I had to go around some terrain so that to form a bit of a horseshoe shape. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, got them in, got the blood warriors in to an extent and got the manticore in, made sure to leave a gap. I think it was mostly an exercise in not making mistakes like that, mm. like leaving a big gap for the manticore base to get in. Yeah. Yeah. And then I fought with the manticore first because it gets worse as it takes wounds. And I was actually pretty impressed with it. Like no, yeah, without good. any buffs, um, I got some decent rolls, I think. Um, but without any buffs, it managed to kill a fulminator by itself. Mm. Uh, from full health, which I think it also helps that like, I know that my sort of, um, fulminator kind of stress response whenever I see them <laughs> is partly based on the fact that you should have the castellant buff. So it's like mm. the, the healing and the yeah, save reroll. The, the, the I mean, it, it's just a delicious combination yeah. of things that always works. Without that, they are a very good unit that can die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's true. So it's still great. Yeah. So I quite like, but I quite like the idea of the, this chaos Lord on a manticore kind of descending on them. Yeah. Like lots of the damage was done by a sword, which is kind of rare. And then mm. the rest was done by the manticore. Mm. So it's like the sword comes down and then just gets savaged by the kind of claws. Yeah. The dracoth tries to fight back, but it just succumbs to the manticores. It's, just a, it's a bit, it's a lot bigger. It is a lot bigger. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, so that was, so that was immediately a really great result because obviously I've just halved their damage out point mm. and it's become a numbers game. It's become how much you can kill. Tom, how much can one Dracoth kill? Well, <laughs> it's an interesting thing about Dracoths is that, um, they have three attacks. They're like three plus to hit, three plus to wound, rend one damage one. Um, unless when you wound, you roll a six. And at that point, it becomes D6 damage. Yeah. So what happened was I hit... Uh, with both. With, with two. Uh, one missed. And then uh, I rolled to wound and rolled two sixes. <laughs> and then... I felt both saves. <laughs> and then I rolled 10 damage. <laughs> this is it from the blood letters. Uh, into the blood letters. Uh, a unit of 10 and they have one wound each. So the, the drag cost ate the entire unit it just like ate <laughs> it, it. An incredible moment like i thought the game had swung there <laughs> yeah because yeah. it was like all my blood tithe points all the positioning was mm. to bring those using it in 10 blood letters in yeah some of them are going to die <laughs> but they're demons so they're bravery 10 mm. minus one because of the the twist card but still mm. you know and it was like i can't even visualize how that dracoth because the rider didn't do anything no miss the dracoth killed 10 blood letters by itself it just like, murdered them I, and it was like because the way they were strung out i just imagined it sort of inhaling like, <laughs> like a hoover <laughs> it was just like a, a kind of washing machine where they just like moved into it and it was like this kind of spinning <laughs> claws you know. maybe like chain lightning or something yeah just like ripple through them and maybe use a kind of breath attack that that it took a load of them out. I forgot to use their <laughs> breath attack. Hmm. Um, yeah, but anyway, that's an absurd roll. <laughs> Troll two sixes into a ten to get those, get that damage. But it, it meant that the the numbers game was alive now because, I mean, admittedly there's only one Dracoth, but if I could kill enough Blood Warriors and then maybe get someone in range of the point. Yeah, um, I was just thinking know. the the breath attack wouldn't have made a difference because this was on my turn. Right. So you would only be able to use it during your turn mm. at the end of the, after the end of movement phase, mm. in which case you would have killed the slaughter priest with it, in which case you wouldn't be able to get onto the objective in the first place. Uh, yeah, I think there was a turn when they, they could have breathed into something um, because they were engaged for 
two rounds of combat. That's true. But it wouldn't have done very much, really. Yeah, I knew. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's all good. Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, he, sometimes he, you just eat ten blood letters. He just ate ten blood letters <laughs> and felt good about it. <laughs> Pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then took a bunch of wounds from Blood Warriors, which he showed up and did something for yeah, us. Yeah, they were good. Um, yeah, the other really vital thing about taking out that one dra- Dracoth was that they were actually blocking the point. Yeah. So um, you, when you were able to pile in with the Blood Warriors, you were able to slide around the Dracoth and get close to the point. Yeah. Whereas previously, if that, if that other Dracoth had held on, you wouldn't have been within six inches with many of your warriors. Not that any. time, no. Um, yeah. But then... And that would have been a game changer because then my formula, my shooting could have thinned out the yeah. unit and reduced your ability to kill formulators. So it, it was a really interesting swing point in the game. Uh, and even though the Dracoth did eat those 10, you were still in like a good position. Yeah, I think, I think so we can probably like to some extent skip to the end here and say that like, uh, it was at this point that the game state was probably quite fixed. Yeah. But we so. realized it a little bit later, mm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So definitely. it's like, you know, we, we ended up in a position here where, um, obviously formulate is hard to shift, but well, the key thing was, cause you got like a, 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 you then got, um, the first turn of round five. So the last round of the game. Yeah. And you got like a run roll of a six yeah, from the sectors, which is as far as they could possibly go, only to discover that as far as they possibly could go was an inch out of the control range. It was, yeah, 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 yeah. It was, it was so close. And, um, the wizard also got a really good run roll and was again, just like one inch away. So those five models, had they been just ever so slightly closer, if I'd have pushed them up a bit earlier, uh, then they, yeah. they might have stood a chance. But, uh, the way it was, they, they didn't stand a chance, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. At which point, like, you know, there was, uh, some shooting into the Blood Warriors. Mm. The Dracos tried to eat some people, like, but it didn't actually fully matter at that point. No. Because, You'd have to wipe out the Blood Warriors and kill the Lord of Manticore, who has 12 wounds still. Right, so it's going to be difficult. In order to... Because the, the key thing is, and this is a, the interesting rules change, at the end of my turn, because I now had more people within six inches of the objective, I take over. Yeah. So you have to take it... It's not just a question of you have to still be there. Mm-hmm. You have to take it off me, which means outnumbering yeah. me. Yeah, so I've got to move someone onto the, sp- the point, yeah. and the Sorkas are just too slow for that. Yeah, well, that's right. the thing, like the relics of the lightning chariot or something like that to zoom yeah so this is an interesting thing like actually before we were playing this morning as the morning we were recording this i was watching the south coast gt mm. and um uh one of the players on the commentary desk who's sort of top tier aos player russ feel was talking about oh. how the vexilla banner is one of the secret best things the stormcast has get that teleport right because of the teleport yeah it's really good and it's um because you know coming out from space is great and relic just stuff is good but being able to do it again is better. Mm. And so that was a really interesting thought, I think. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah. And it would have, it would have been a totally different end game. Yeah. With, with that type of power on the field. Um, move, like movement in AOS is so, so strong. Having stuff that can fly and move fast yeah. or come down from space is, is really, really good, which is another great thing because the, 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 the pointing of the war scrolls is, as we were alluding to earlier, just isn't about the raw damage output a lot of the time. Like you've got to factor in what they can do to actually win games. Yeah, right. Uh, which is a side of a really cool war game, I think. Yeah, I really like this game. And so, yeah, so to, to obviously, to be clear about it, that mm. meant that like, so we sort of called it at that point. I didn't yeah. play my fifth round because there was literally no way I could lose at that point. Yeah. And I think it was like, this is a really good game because it was, I think, pretty satisfying for both of us. Yeah. Like it wasn't, it was close. Mm. It came down to if decisions close to the end, but also both of us were playing plans forward constantly. Mm. 
like it's really easy to look back with hindsight and say that oh this plan worked and it's never that simple right but like i knew that pinning you in the corner was going to be the key <coughs> to was, was your biggest weakness mm. if you know what i mean like the weakness of the force you'd taken was mobility slow yeah. yeah so it's like it doesn't matter how many units I have to commit to doing it if i can keep you in the corner and have enough left mm. to you can spread across the board as, uh, to as go get more objectives i will ultimately win yeah and summoning is a really good type of mobility as well for that objective yeah right capture. so yeah you could have moved that man's core the the range of you had this great range of ability to put down 10 models at uh, yeah at one point that that was was very powerful in the scenario play yeah i think i think chaos because for chaos summoning always god regardless of which god it is mm. it always requires either the terrain piece that is unique to that army or a hero mm. because of that um and the question about the, the the extreme value of those terrain pieces notwithstanding um because of that i think something like the chaos lord of manticore actually gains extra value because um it's easy for me to load up on you know, fun 80 point heroes. But when you've got two units of five judicators, like as we've seen many times before, they like just get, just get shot in the head. Picked off one, one, one. Whereas that manticore becomes almost a bit of a safety net. Yeah. Like right. the temptation is to see it as this beat stick that I'm going to throw at you. But I think a lot of winning this game came down to keeping the manticore back mm. and knowing that eventually the scary formulators are coming down from space. I have something scarier that is also going to have this extra benefit of acting as a spawn beacon. Yeah. For, for backup, which is really cool. It's a really cool angle image as well. Like the way, like he flew over, perched on that piece of terrain, and then obviously the, the chaos lord just kind of did an incantation, and these uh, blood has burst forth from the, the portal and yeah, just, like, charged, screaming. Yeah. At the, uh, yeah, then it got eaten by. Like it, it was so so cool. There's a, a great photo, like picture we took of all of your forces surrounding my formulators, which by the way, which does happen in every single game. Like yeah, the, right. Because that's what it takes to kill them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and and they're just like they're a big kill this beacon, and maybe if, like. Uh, if, as a smarter player, I could use the threat of the formulators to kind of move my opponent's forces around using their threat rather yeah. than using them as a, as a beat stick to win the game on their own, if you know what I mean. Like, um, uh, they're very, very good in 1000 points as well. They, that are charged with formulators can wipe out a unit. Um, and even if they don't charge, Dracoth go ham. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> Demons go, go by. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're, um, they're an interesting unit. Yeah. I think also like, it was interesting the the dynamic between you having fewer more powerful units and me having just more stuff yeah because it meant that i could be shifting the pieces around a bit because i was sort of ready for the dracoths there was no turn where i was like if they come down now i'm fucked you know what i mean yeah, it, was, it was very much like but i think it's because you'd screened really well and like had a nice spacing of stuff across the board <laughs> years of playing against <laughs> yeah. Terminators will teach you to do that yeah exactly exactly but that's a really important part of the game yeah uh threat bubble like bubbles around characters you know where things can come onto the board you can control that really yeah. well uh which is there was great. a point obviously a lot earlier in the game where the death bring had failed his charge and i had the option to command point reroll it and mm. the reason i didn't was because there was value in him being where he was and that was because he was sort of in the middle of no man's land but he was also projecting this nine inch mm. no thank you bubble that yes was, i was like hang on that's actually just as useful as him being in combat like yeah. if he gets in combat with the sequences he probably he gets to use his cool axes which i hadn't used at all i didn't <laughs> use at all in this game all he did was run around mm. and use his buff once but like you know i, I really like those considerations it was really you know yeah it's really fun with this game it's really it, yeah it's good sort of brain food isn't it um there's really nice aspects for it whereas like i haven't played many games in 40k but 
there's lots of just like stacking shooting on things yeah and i, and I actually like i prefer the kind of spatial control stuff uh especially when the board looks rad and you've got all this awesome terrain and you're we've talked about how you're kind of creating a evolving diorama as you kind of play through a game and you you really get that sense yeah when, i see it like a movie set yeah exactly but you really get that sense when stuff's moving into position so that that chaos lord and the manticore kind of holding as his minions did his bidding is a yeah. really cool image in and of itself he doesn't have to be kicking yeah. ass all the time and like i've got some ideas about that castle automatical mm. and like i kind of know where that sort of stuff is going and like he dabbles right he's dabbling in the dark you know in various forms of worship they are ultimate he is ultimately like a kind of um a part of a different force in this fiction that mm. is sort of coalescing in my mind cool, cool. and so his allegiance to corn is convenient to some extent. Mm. And so the notion that he is not the one charging forward is also in character. Like right, the rest yeah. of them are bloodbound. They are, they have one direction. They're all in. It's, it's forwards. Yeah. He is more calculating. Mm. And so, you know, that's sort of like a kind of fun sort of, uh, dynamic to then manifest on the board as well. Yeah. Yeah. Super cool. And that model, that model's still amazing. Like it's an old model, but it's brilliant. I really love yeah, it. Yeah. I really like it as well. Really dynamic. Mm. Fun to paint as well. Sweet. I've got another one that I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Oh, and we're back now in the present. We are. Thanks, past Tom and Chris. What a fun game that was. It was a really good game. We can talk about it now as if it has happened. Yes. Because it has happened now. Mm-hmm. Yep. We had fun. But do you know what's fun? Questions are fun. Yes. First question comes from 23 for 23 question champion. Tweet Fiennia from Discord. Who writes, hi, Thurston and Senior. Not a lot of effort into a title <laughs> pun there. Yeah. They are actual names. There's no mandatory pun requirement, but nonetheless, uh, it's a low bar. The times, this time's question is following the recent, uh, role models rollout four, which is our community, uh, event series, yeah. which has now reached its fourth event. Uh, um, I've been thinking a lot about games that involve more than two players. Preferences seem to be divided into several camps, including don't ever do them, big games are great, or come up with other system, some other system to make it work. At our, meet- at our meetup, lovely Discord user Drew came up with a system that let games bordering each other transmit effects across games, but I've also had fun with traditional apocalypse style, just a really big game with lots of players on a big board. Is there some kind of solution to this, or is this going to be a perennially divisive thing? Love the pod, always Pete slash Vienna from Discord. Hmm. So there is um, a 40k rule set, right, that lets yeah. you play. That's a, is that Apocalypse, what he's referring uh, Yeah, there's also an AOS one, Triumph and Treachery, which oh, is yeah, the yeah. same thing. I, I'd say, like, I kind of can see both sides on this. Like, this is literally why I wanted to try and set up the narrative game at the Minis Monthly Live last year hmm. as like 20 or like however many 11 individual 23 players like 11 and a half individual games mm. of sigma like personally my problem with a a multiplayer game is it's really easy for it to become for one person to end up out of contention mm. very early um and that number increases as you add players so you know, um, and that can be good and it, it cannot be good. Like I, you know, uh, when we were in Cardiff in November, we played that big sort of multiplayer game of Adeptus Titanicus. Mm. That was really fun because everyone was just hanging out and chatting. And occasionally Pete would tap me on the shoulder and say, it's your turn to make a Titan related decision. <laughs> and I'd go, um, oh, I'll go this way, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and that's fine. But like they had a more engaged yeah, not that it wasn't, it was a really engaging game, but in, in a less sort of casual setting or when you're actually kind of in for a game, it can be really easy to be the person who just takes loads of damage early and you don't get to do anything mm, for the rest of the mm. game. You yeah. know, turns can take a long time as well. And 
like turns can take a long time one-on-one yeah right but going around four people uh and you know especially if you're just you're playing corn it's like well i'll push all this forward and that took me five minutes and then you know you've got to wait like 45 minutes until you get to do the next thing so it's almost in game systems that are very turn-based like aos tends to be apart from combat yeah uh then everyone's like not very involved personally they just have to observe for a long time right it's like imagine that the amount of imagine that paying attention and being engaged during someone else's turn takes a certain amount of effort mm. and you replenish that energy bar during your own turn when it's about you yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know in a two-player game it evens out consistently and yeah. it's consistently exciting because everything is always important Actually, no, in a, a two-player game, it's perfect because you are always, you are always the center of attention. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? So you, your, your opponent is either reacting things to, yeah. Yeah. Reacts to what you're doing all the time, yes. Yeah, you, you are always being engaged with mm. one way or another. In a four-player game, that is less so. Mm. You know, it, there's going to be a turn where your opponent in this corner is dealing with your opponent in that corner and it's not relevant to you. And, and that's, you know, maybe, you know, a personal thing. Like you just need to step up at that point and pay attention and be interested <laughs> right. and find yeah. out why it's fun. But at the same time, I don't blame people for getting yeah. bored, right? My favorite ty- uh, type of multiplayer game is doubles. I think yeah. doubles works very doubles well. Doubles is great. Because you're, you're conferring all the time, you're making plans with each other. Yeah. Uh, but you're also in control of your little bit. And uh, it's still has the dynamic of a 1v1 game in the sense that yeah you're moving your models and your opponents you know when we when we did the uh minis monthly thing so i was really keen that we had that those that set of tables which is like all order and Mm. one death on one side and all uh, iron jaws on the other yeah yeah yeah. or or destruction at least that was the keep yeah you know the siege of the storm keep but i was kind of keen that that be four one-on-one games Mm. rather than one four on four game because it means everyone, this camaraderie down one side of the row of tables. Yeah. But everyone feels responsible for their own bit and no one, you know, oh, I've been completely overwhelmed or, oh, I'm not important because this person's just do handling it. They're carrying us. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's none of that. It's just, so yeah, I suppose the answer to the question is I'm actually quite down on multiplayer games generally. Mm-hmm. Like, I suppose, I mean, they can absolutely be made to work, but I just feel like in terms of like, I don't know, engagement over time, one-on-one is really hard to beat. Yeah. Yeah. It just occurs to me that you wouldn't want to enforce doubles on strangers because actually working alongside someone you've, you don't know is almost harder than playing against someone you don't know. Right. Yeah. So actually there's almost like more of a stress factor and more of a power struggle within a team than there would be it's the, the the context of one of you just playing another person is it's a competitive game so all the rules are in place and you know yeah you're supposed to be competitive but uh discord within a team is a kind of unmoderated uh kind of version of that that's right. potentially much yeah. worse i feel like so yeah what makes for a good game or well, good war game is not just both players being on the same t- like so the quality of a war game is how well everyone at the table is getting along. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if they're on the same side. It doesn't matter if they're opponents. It doesn't matter if everyone is against everybody else. It's a free for all. And so the more players you add, the greater the chance that someone is out of sync, mm-hmm. either in terms of expectation or level of experience or attitude, or whatever it is. And that might not be anyone's fault. It's just the way it is. Yeah. And so, you know, like that's why we were sat there at the start of the November thing with a, a spreadsheet, yeah. <laughs> like trying to match, match things up. up and like, you know, um, and, and make sure things work. Like actually, you know, uh, Pete writer of this question, um, uh, sort of, uh, I knew he would be a great pick for the person who ended up getting two V one because really good spot. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. And right. that was a really, you know, fun scenario. So it was like, there's, there's, um, I feel like people don't speak enough about the, the personal level of arranging a good war game. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like right, attitude right. matters and it yeah, makes a huge difference. And so multiplayer games can absolutely be great. Like mm. I think uh, a big multiplayer game where everyone's on the same page, but what's going to happen and what's expected could actually be brilliant, mm. but it is exponentially harder to arrange for, uh, complementary attitudes as it is to arrange two complementary attitudes. Yeah. That's and true. so in a, in a, if it was a, yeah, if I was running an event for strangers, I don't know if I would ever do it just because it's so much harder mm. to get right. And obviously every tournament organizer takes it or every event organizer takes a different attitude to this mm. with the minis monthly stuff we were able to do. We were able because the community is so great to somewhat, um, trust that things would figure out, figure themselves out. Yeah. Right. If we were running a big ticketed event for hundreds of people, mm. um, I don't know how we handle that. I think, well, mm. I think you do what everyone else does, which is just hold their hands up and put out a code of conduct and say, you guys are responsible for making sure these attitudes match up. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, like I feel like that can, becomes even harder to do in a case where you're throwing lots of people together. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting question. It's really, yeah, it's, yeah. Good and it's, it's good to shine a light on, I think, what the most important aspect of like, oh, that was something I wanted to, to talk about when we can get to that, like the code of conduct idea, like yeah, this but- idea that actually the key to a war games being fun is just, how you behave more than what you do or army you have or mm. how overpowered or not it is. It's just you, how do you, <laughs> how, how good are you at having fun with another human? Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah. Next question comes from Kingsley. Dear Chris and Tom, the big old crab man, woman, bull scorpion has me lusting for a decadent Slaneshi army. Are there any individual models on their own? get you yearning to collect a particular force. Cheers, Kingsley. Mm. Well, I have to say, I've also been bitten by the crab. <laughs> you have been <laughs> bit by the crab. Um, there's some Ideneth models that might do it for me. Yeah, same as Because uh, I've got an idea for like a purple and gold silk kind of colour scheme for them that is like very, very different to how, what their fantasy is really. But I just think, oh, really want to paint that. I want to paint yeah. just a, a unit of Namati thralls or something like that. And a couple of the heroes. The, the, the mage... Uh, the, the woman who's blind or her eyes are closed and she's like striding forward with the tie caster. Yeah. That's, that's the fantastic one off model that I might paint. But then, you know, you buy one and you're like, well, also I like the octopus. <laughs> I like yeah. that octopus as well. Before you know it, you've got a little force of Yeah. That's how it happens. Mm. That's how they get you. Yeah. I feel this way about a lot of the new gene still occult stuff. Oh, I yeah. really love the, show. I don't know. Oh God, I've got to keep what they call. It's not the jackal. Um, it's the sniper lady on bike. Yeah. yeah. It's like, ah oh, man, I love that image. I love that fantasy. Yeah. Mad Max thing is great. That pose is straight from Akira as well. Yeah, it is. Um, it kind of does it, does it when he tries to one shot, <laughs> one shot Tetsuo, doesn't he? Yeah. So yeah. Right. Canon. Yeah. It's right. Yes. Right. And it's like, um, I almost painted that for a painting competition recently. Mm. I don't own it. I was, you almost bought it just with no just intention of having yeah, use of the that, that's course. A really cool model. But I really like that. Mm. Like that's, that's the sort of the complete aside to my other 40k interests that I may end up doing just because I really like that one model. Basically. Yeah. I like the whole deal though. The, the whole sort of eighties, 2000 AD armor padding and that kind of stuff. Ooh, yeah. It's really fun. Uh, I like the Dean's Cults a lot. Yeah, I think it's a really great range. Um, well, 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 that's a good question. We need the answer to immediately. Oh, yeah. So really happens. Kyle writes, due to what I assume was a throwaway joke 30 years ago, the Imperium of Man speaks Gothic while patrolling the Gothic sector with a battlefleet of Gothic cathedrals. What other artistic movements would you like to see the Imperium <laughs> adopt? 
Uh, Bauhaus Space Marines, anybody? Impressionistic Adeptus Mechanicus. Thanks for allowing me to vicariously experience the hobby without requiring money, time, and space I can no longer afford, mm. Kyle. Art Nouveau Emperor's Children for me. Love those, Ooh. those leafy spiraling metallic. Yeah, kind of nice. Cast iron structures. That'd be nice. Yeah, that, yeah, hmm, I can see that. I think, um, ooh, it's an interesting one because, like, Oh, it's old cubist it's necklace. So, it's, it's, it's like, yeah. They're just well, boxes, it's, metal it's, boxes. <laughs> it's the notion that, like, you'd ever have, like, I don't know, like, some, you, you know, the, the Imperium ever arrives on a, a planet that was never fully kind of incorporated during the Great Crusade only mm. to discover, like, brutalism. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. what the hell is this? <laughs> it's a cube. This is definitely heresy of some description. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Concrete doesn't age well. Do you know what ages well? Cathedrals. <laughs> There's not even one skull cherub on this. <laughs> exactly. The emperor hates it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I love the notion that we go through however many thousands of years of subsequent art and like, do you know what was great? The 14th century. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. What's the hardest shit to build? <laughs> exactly. It's this. It's this. <laughs> the, the, it's, it's a kind of, peculiar decadence to it it's, it expresses the sort of waste of the imperium as much as anything to, to yeah, decorate yeah. it which is like it's like the imperium is interesting because it is a, sort of a giant machine that doesn't run very well at all it is laced with bureaucracy as much as like space means hate the bureaucracy of terror and stuff yeah, nonetheless yeah. the bureaucrats run everything and it's massively corrupt uh, throughout the whole system <laughs> and uh the sort of the way that expresses itself is in just the most outrageous architecture <laughs> yeah right it's like you don't just build a, well, it's a tower like, block I you build the, the most ornate tower block you know I, I it's always hard to tell how much this stuff is so incidental or how much is deliberate but like hmm. I think part of it is that it's kind of like the art style speaks to like what happens when you have a surplus of people, but nothing else. Right. It's like, you know what I mean? It's like you can, you know, the, the, the endless filigree and Baroque kind of sculpturing of, of the far future is like the opposite of most fantasies of the future. Like the, the, the Star Trek future is we replicate everything. Mm. So everything is smooth and clean and machine designed and kind of beautiful and, and like Apple store, like if you're JJ Abrams and you know what I mean? There's mm. like, there's, you know, and it, it follows on, on what we would expect the future to look like. But, um, you know, the future where we got scared of all the robots, but we have lots of people, so we just make them draw skulls and everything. Yeah. It looks it, like this. Especially because human labor has no value in the 41st millennium. Yeah. Right. So, um, the, the idea that something handcrafted would, uh, would be more expensive or, you know, yeah, somehow more worthy than something that was churned out by a machine doesn't really exist. So you might as well get the labor to do it. Well, so yeah, it's like art that, and we should also say this is true of Gothic art necessarily but it's like it's like art and architecture that doesn't really uh value or esteem human experience at all <laughs> yeah it's like it's about god or it's about god's very big sons <laughs> yes yeah <laughs> it's very good his 20 massive boys <laughs> 18 really lots of beautiful statues the same, yeah i'm trying to think if there are any other, if there are any you know good, good comedy art, art styles to stick in there but i'm not sure there really are mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you know in like I, at the moment you go into sort of a surrealist territory or, mm. you know, yeah, or you get a little bit too modernist, then that's heresy. That's mm. very clearly that's, yeah, heresy. Exactly, yeah. You don't want to see like a German expressionist, um, iron, iron hands. <laughs> no, you don't. <laughs> no one wants to see that. It doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> Jazz hands. Um, 
Next up, Wambadger writes, It's Easter time and Slanesh has demanded all within the mortal realms bring it an Easter egg. Failure to produce one will be punished by being turned into a musical instrument. The best egg will be rewarded with your own demonic steed. What egg do you give it? That's from Wambadger. What types of egg are there to give a thing? To give Slanesh. Mm. What kind of, yeah, what kind of Easter egg do you give Slanesh? A, an Easter egg. Like, what type of Easter egg? Well, you, you, well, it would have to be what's the most excessive Easter egg. Presumably. Yeah, okay, right, right, right. Like, I think the gift would be me eating like 45 Easter eggs. No, hang on, it has to be a multiple of six. Hmm. Let's say, uh, I don't know, I eat, uh, 66 Easter eggs hmm. and go and pass out. That's probably the ultimate gift you could give. Slanesh. Yeah. I think mate, I'd, I'd be tempted to craft the one Easter egg that would do it. Some perfect break open reality. Is, is so it, like it would be a kind of gold leaf, white chocolate filled with raspberry jam. And then you, Ooh. you'd stick your head in inside it and eat and it. Die. From, <laughs> <they'd> die. <laughs> and, uh, Slanesh welcomes you into his arms. <laughs> We're both in different directions at that. I think yeah, my yeah. main of being a bit more nurgly, but no, I think. Imagine, that, imagine your court's been discovered <laughs> in that context. I think, I, no, I what think. What happened here? Slanesh I think, happened I, think here. I would attempt to eat a Fabergé egg. Right, right, right. Like shard of glass, so shard of metal. like metal and, and, you know, cut by bleeding cut. Mm. Just like, ow, ow, it hurts. That's <laughs> no, uh, so beautiful. Oh God. <laughs> I've eaten this. Um, uh, uh. And then I become a demon prince of Fabergé eggs. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Good. Well, we've definitely answered that one as well. Wow, we're making a fair old clip. Harry writes, Dear Tom and Chris, I finally got around to starting my sacrosanct chamber of Stormcast Eternals. Upon seeing the unique spell for the Night Encanter, a question dawned on me. How many storms could a Stormcast cast if a Stormcast could (laughs) cast cast storms? storms? (laughs) Thanks, Uh, Harry. (laughs) Only one at a time, sadly. Otherwise, I'd stack that stuff. (laughs) Though if you... Yeah, you get, cause it moves around with them. It's really good. It's a really good spell. I really like it. Uh, the storm just like 18 inches with them, mm. uh, like radius. Uh, so only one at a time, unfortunately. Only Sigma's allowed to do more. You have to get a permit. <laughs> <laughs> or I'll be playing in open play. <laughs> Next up. Tom writes, hi, uh, bird and lightning emojis. Good job. Cool. Uh, if you had to do a GW paint as a shot down in one, top, <laughs> <not sure. laughs> that's very good. Very good question. Which would it be? Bonus points for answering both based on possible flavor and which you would think would be least likely to make you actually for real die. Right. Yeah. Thanks yeah, yeah. for the pod. Yeah. I mean, blood for the blood god is quite jammy and nice looking. Yeah. But it's quite, it's quite, I've it's used quite a lot of it recently. It's very glutinous. Like, that's going yeah, to, right. that is going to stop your esophagus from doing the things it needs <laughs> yeah, to do. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, Lamy and Media would just taste nothing. So you, it's the thinnest one I could think of. It looks like, no, it looks enough like vodka that you could convince yourself you're vodka. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. Gillum and Blue. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I was going to say yeah. Gillum and Blue because it's, uh, thin. So yeah. it's going to go straight down, not kill you, probably. It looks like something you might accidentally buy in a terrible nightclub. It does, yeah. It looks like, yeah, it does look like a, 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 a shit in, novelty shop. It gets sold in top test tubes or something. Like yeah, that. right. You know, and I've been there and done that. So yeah, it's, same. It's, <laughs> You know, I think I could convince myself for a grim moment that, yeah, it tasted like, like, I don't blueberry. Know, blueberry or something. Mm. Yeah, I think it would definitely be one of the glazes. Um, cause you don't want to, because it's, it, you're doing down, you're doing, you're downing the pot, presumably. So you don't want to go for any other shades because that's a big pot. Yeah, it's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. The way they sell them these days. The way to fail this test completely is astro granite. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> you picked so wrong. Um, yeah. uh, or well, necron uh, compound. We just, 
You've got like um, Mornfang Brown, it's very chocolatey. It's a heavy mm. shot. It's a risk. It is. It's a heavy shot. <laughs> it's a heavy shot. Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think I would risk that. I think. I think any of the actual paints. I'm not sure. Like, oh, I'd do one of the tiny tint pots that are like thimble sized. Do you know the ones that used colorized metal metallics? Oh and stuff yeah. Like that? And I'd, I'd probably pick the red one because it. Or is there a green one? It could be like Appley. That'd be nice. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You've got a little. Just small as well. So yeah. the likelihood of death would be perhaps lower <laughs> depending on what's in there yeah i was thinking like of all the because none of the colors really map onto like um a comforting drink drink drunk comforting drunk uh, a comforting drink color really no. I think maybe arm and blue it's got it's turquoise but it's like mm. that, that again is in that kind of it's novelty the, shot novelty wkd shot. range yeah, right, that right. i think makes me feel more safe no food is that color <laughs> so, yeah right so you'd be suspicious of it instantly really yeah I'm glad I don't have to do this. Yeah. <laughs> you just, yeah, you just reach for a glass of wine, Tom, and it's like, what yeah, I, I would do, I would, I would not like to do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Though I wonder, like, whether you would die. Presumably these paints are designed for a child to accidentally drink it. <laughs> I mean, they're acrylic paint, right? Like, right, yeah. I mean, it's not going to taste good, but it's not going to kill mean, you. Is it going to kill you? I don't know. You know, like, I'm I mean, not it, just, it just excellently shade your insides. Mmm, delicious. Your mouth will be blue for weeks. Our final question comes from an internet snotling who writes, gentlemen, <laughs> Stop making me laugh out loud while trying to paint Norky Man's brown leather belt. On an unrelated note, have you found any reliable ways of removing misplaced paint during the painting process? Hmm. I'm currently using small bits of kitchen tissue, and it's not terribly accurate. <laughs> Yours, an internet snotling. Hmm. I always find you just have to go back to the other colour and paint over something. Uh, I recently have taken to the emergency thumb. Oh, yeah. It, that's like, occasionally good yeah it, like it obviously it depends on the overall quality bar you're aiming for i've been batch painting a lot recently mm. and sometimes if something goes fucking wrong just go thumb for it. it with your thumb just thumb it. like a skin is good for this mm. it is pliable it's firm you control it really cle- clearly because yeah. it is attached to you <laughs> and um you can clean it because you just go to the sink afterwards i have just like emergency gotten a brush plopped in some water and just washed the area and it, th- yeah th- that very rarely works <laughs> so it depends what you're doing it can work like it depends on how thin the paint is and stuff like that yeah like with the with the blends on that like chromatic terrain i've been doing mm. like a lot of that has been done by like putting on the wash too thick then wiping down the wash brush and then mm. moving it around before it dries mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to blend it like you yeah, can do good. a lot of post i mean it's wet blending but you can do a lot of post paint correction if you're fast enough yeah it is good blending technique actually because you can use water not too much water to sort of feather the edge of a shade into the sort of base color yeah um and try and get rid of the the thing that shades do sometimes where they they form a quite a crisp line almost from the shaded bits not shaded but yeah a bit yeah. of water can help with that i think um i mean ultimately like it depends on exactly what you're doing. A lot of the time, even getting some paint off, erroneous paint off with your thumb is only going to be useful <laughs> insofar as it stops you from having to repaint the entire section. You might get a bit of it off and just need to touch it up slightly. Mm. Sometimes after a mistake as well, it's worth like putting the model down, looking at it from a tabletop distance and thinking, can I see this? Because <laughs> if you can't, this is the thing I've had to learn the hard way. No one will ever care. <laughs> yeah, no one will ever know. <laughs> yeah, literally no one is going to pick up the model and go, Oh, you fucked up the underside of this uh, bandolier. Yeah. Oh, and if call they yourself do, hobbyist. And if they do, throw them at your house. Yeah, exactly. Why are they in your house? Yeah. Like that's you know that's the um you know. So yeah, it's probably fine. Basically, in short, 
but it's a good like I, I it's been fun getting more confident just going like i don't need to redo this entire bit yeah, i dude. can just hit it with my face and <laughs> yeah lick the paint off it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> tastes like blueberries mm. and vodka delicious delicious that is all the questions we've got time for if you would like to send us a question for a future episode of Minches Monthly, you can do so by emailing us at minis at com. You can also tweet us at Minis Monthly. Uh, if you would like to hang out with our Discord community, which we thoroughly recommend because it's a lovely place to talk very, about very active. Warham, then uh, you can find them on our Discord channel, the link for which is will be both in the show notes for this episode and on our website at com look for the role models channel that's where you want to be um you can find pictures of me and tom's uh miniatures adventures on instagram i'm at exit warp that's e-x-i-t-w-a-r-p tom i am at ludo paints minis and ludo's l-u-d-o lovely mm-hmm. thanks for listening everybody. Next time folks catch you next month